Monday, October the 17th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. This one is our NBA season preview. I believe our fourth year now that we've been having one of these with our good friend Dave Handelin, who does the radio statistician work for the Minnesota Timberwolves. So Dave joins us to talk all about the NBA. Every single team, we go through their rosters, their win totals, positives, negatives, uh, maybe a couple bets that we might make on them. A really fun chat. We spend over two hours talking about everything, every team in the NBA this year. And then we'll finish up with the old wrestling rewatch, SummerSlam 2019 with Andrew Champagne. It's very interesting to see how in just a few years, things have shifted so much for so many major players. So we get into that match by match and we deep dive the SummerSlam 2019 event with Andrew Champagne. On this episode, that's what G said that is presented by BetterThan.Vegas. Give them a follow at BTVBets on Twitter. They have a great free schedule of live streams to help get you prepped for all of the big events in sports, baseball, football, college football, big days of horse racing. Anytime there's NFL games, there's multiple shows. It's all free at BTV2. Just want to help you become a better better. For you horse racing fans, you always have to check out the stable dual schedule each and every week. This week coming up, Tuesday, October 18th, you can play fantasy horse racing style games contests where you enter for $10 or $50 at parks and you win back prize money. There's also a game at Penn National on Wednesday. Keeneland and Parks have games. Parks has a free ride. Keeneland has a $5 entry and a $25 entry and Penn National has a game. Thursday, Keeneland and Laurel. Friday, Remington Park, Keeneland and in Gulfstream, and then uh, this weekend, you'll have even more action, so Keeneland is the major, major focus right now for your stable duel games, for your stable duel contests, get those entries in, and play, race, win. Well, let's, uh, let's get into our NBA conversation. Dave Handelin joins me, we go team by team, we start alphabetically with the Atlanta Hawks, and we go all the way in order So kick back and enjoy NBA fans, betters, fantasy players. It's time for our NBA season preview. You hear that ominous clock ticking in the background? Sound of the the clock ticking as we get closer to the NBA season. One of my favorite chats of the year is our NBA NBA preview. And I got to say, you know, when we talk about the big ratings movers in the world, you know, probably think of people like, you know, the Kardashians and the Rock, NFL football. For me, it's Dave Handelin. This has always been one of our my highest uh, rated shows, our NBA previews that we do every year. The people just love to hear you talk, my friend. And we're very lucky to have the play, uh, radio statistician for the Minnesota Timberwolves joining us again. Someone I love to chat NBA basketball with. How you doing, Dave? I am great. Thank you for the awesome intro there, Gino. And I love <laughs> to be the ratings caller. I don't know if I'm like Kim or if I'm Chloe or if I'm... One of them, maybe a little bit of both, like the the best of me. Yeah, right. The best of all of them. Something Kardashian is there. But uh, we uh, we're excited because we're recording on Monday, October the seventeenth, and on Tuesday, October the eighteenth, the NBA starts. Which you and I were just sort of talking about before we hit record. It is so early now. It feels like we just started NFL. Your Vikings are five and one, and now all of a sudden we got the basketball season starting. 
it just it just sneaks right up on you. It's crazy. Where yeah, the, the season we yeah, I think we're gonna have like eighteen degrees in Minnesota when we wake up in the morning. Like it's <laughs> hey, it's here. NBA is here. Well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna go through each team. We'll spend you know a few minutes on each team, talk about um, positives, negatives, sort of what we think for them. And it's fun to talk with Dave because he gets a chance to watch all these teams when they come to play Minnesota. He gets a chance to see them and kind of dive into some <clears throat> some of the stats. So you and I are not only NBA fans of our own teams, the Timberwolves and the Lakers, but we're just sort of NBA nerds. Like I love watching all basketball and I'm just a fan of all basketball. So that that's why we get along and we always uh enjoy diving into each team. And Dave, we have a fun team to start with right off the bat. We're just gonna go in alphabetical order and we're gonna start with the Atlanta Hawks. And Atlanta made a, a really big trade. They were sort of the the team that was a year ahead of schedule two years ago. And then last year, probably felt like it was a bit of a disappointing year for them because they didn't really take the big leap forward. But they made a coaching change. And then the second half of their season, they performed a lot better. And now they bring in DeJounte Murray. So their projected starting five is Trey Young, DeJounte Murray. That'll help a lot defensively in the backcourt. Maybe take a little pressure off of Trey there. They have... DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Clint Capella, and Bogdanovich, Big O, Justin Holiday, some of their guys off the bench. They're maybe not quite as deep, but they did get a little bit better and upgraded at one of the key positions for them. I think this will be a nice addition for them. I think it'll be an all right ad- addition to them. This was one team I know last year when we talked, we were like blown away with like the depth of their roster. Oh, yeah. And it was like at some point they needed to change some of those pieces that were just all right you've got too many guys you only have so many minutes mm-hmm. you have to you have to try to upgrade so that's what they did with murray the issue i have with that is just the, like i i, I want to see how this murray trey young backcourt is going to be because i think they both want the ball a lot mm-hmm. and one of them is going to have to play off of the ball that's just it's it's how it's going to have to be so it's going to be and sometimes and sometimes that's fine Right. And then other times it's just oil and water. Like it just doesn't work. You know, we saw like Wade and LeBron took a little while and then they were able to figure it out. And those are two of the all time greats. But then guys on a lesser level, like as soon as you have a bad week or you start losing a few games, then, oh, hey, I need to get the ball more. We got to change things. I I don't know if it's just going to be a perfect fit on paper. They're going to be I think they'll be better, like in a one game situation with Murray. I think they're better. But mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of I'm, I'm with where you're going. I don't know if it's just going to automatically work for them. And maybe maybe they just end up doing it. They they settle into something where I don't know. You you play Trey at 24 minutes of point guard, Dejounte at 24 minutes, and for the other 12, like then they each sit for 12 minutes, and then for the other 12 minutes, one of them plays the two type of thing. Yeah, there. and they yeah. play Bogdanovich with them. And, and I don't know if that's what it is. I don't. I just don't know if you can play them for 35 minutes a game together and how it's actually going to look. Like, and I, I don't I do know even DeAndre if DeAndre Hunter is going to be the, he's going to have to be, they're going to have to get a lot out of DeAndre Hunter this year. It's time think, for him to show that he's, he's the guy. In any game, Trey is the type of guy who's capable of winning a game for you or maybe a series, but I don't even know if like with DeJounte, if things go really well for them, does that even put them like if, at their ceiling, are they as good as, you know, three or four other teams in the East at their best? I don't, you know, I don't even know where, like, where this would put them. You know, their win total is only like 45 and a half. So they're not even close to a 50 win team. So, yeah, like, you feel like you made a big splashy move, but I don't really know how, 
think they won 43 games last year. I don't like how much better are they going to be? The, the, the total feels about right. I just, I think they're like a middle of the pack five, six seed in the, in the East sort of so where I, I, I feel like, like they what are. are they really? Are they the two years ago, they made it to the Eastern conference finals with basically the same lineup. Only now you're having Murray in there, which seems like it should be an upgrade. But then last year was such an underachieving year for them. It just never got going. Like, did they ride the high of the Lloyd Pierce, Nate McMillan firing two years ago, and that helped ascend them? And then last year, they just kind of fell back into mediocrity. I, I, I don't know it. Yeah, it seems like it seems like they're high end. If everything clicks, they could be a really good team. But it's just they've got the never ending. Is John Collins going to be there? Is he going to get traded? <laughs> All these guys, right? They kept hearing they were going to be out, and then they were bad. Yeah, I just, I mean, they're. NBA championship odds are the 16th best So they, they're they right smack in the middle Of like where where everybody is And I, I mean I, I could see them being you know Maybe a better regular season team But then a team that in the playoffs Are you going to pick them over the Bucks Or the Celtics Or the Nets Or the 76ers Or the Heat even Or even the Cavs Or the, Rop- or the Raptors I, I don't know yeah. Like I, I don't know. I, I I would be a team I'd probably fade a little bit. And just me too. See if it, make them make them burn me. I guess. Complete. I agree. I need to make them prove it to me. As uh, yeah, their win total forty five and a half. They are plus five thousand to win the NBA championship. Let's move to the Boston Celtics, who we were both worried about their depth last year when we talked, and they had a horrible first half of the season. There were points where they were not even in the in the top eight, they were on the outside. Would have been like a ninth or tenth in the play, and needing to play to get in. They had an incredible second half, and what concerns me though is a lot of that seemed to be based on the scheme, the way they played. And I thought their head coach did a fantastic job last year. Now they come into this year, the head coach is suspended for a year because of a maybe an ugly incident that happened. At, we don't really know, but an incident that happened in the franchise. You also have Robert Williams, who's already hurt, and he was a real big key for them last year. They kind of got some bounces in the playoffs their way. This is a good team on paper. They added Malcolm Brogdon. That's really going to help. So they smart Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, um, Robert Williams, and Al Horford. You know, Al Horford's getting a little bit older, too. He's 36, 16th year. He gave some huge moments for them. I don't know if you can just count on that from him, but I do think Brogdon, if he's healthy— He's very nice. He could help them a lot. Pritchard, White, Williams. So their depth feels a little bit better than it was last year. I still think they were. Wor- I'm worried a little bit about size, and it doesn't feel great coming into the season automatically. Blake oh, champion. there we go. I forgot about Blake Griffin. You're right. You're right. Um, I just they they may be good enough on the court for it not to matter, but you don't like the way they're coming into the year. With the stuff that happened with the coach With Robert Williams already It's just not great energy for a team Who's projected to win 53 and a half games Yeah, everything everything was going great for them And then all of a sudden <laughs> The season got close enough And then the wheels kind of fell off I, for I know them. I know, I will say the, the the trade for Brogdon I think is going to be a huge asset You always need guys like that They gave up like nothing for him either yeah, It was a great move Like Smart's had like, He won the defensive player of the year last year But he's He's always had, he's had like little nicks here and there where he's been out and just 
it's good to and, have Brogdon around, just even for that spark plug, like off, like if if he is going to come off the bench, which what it looks like it's going to happen. When these guys played the deep the playoffs and last year too, season. right? You know, you went deep mm-hmm. into the playoffs last year, and as we talked about now, the off season's a little bit shorter. This team hadn't been used to going that deep. It seems like a lot of the teams in the last few years have gotten impacted the following year after having played deep into it. It's just hard. You you have to be a different type of animal. You're like LeBron, and there's so few people who could just go to the finals every year and not have it impact their body. Like look at so like the two years ago, right? Phoenix and Milwaukee, and those guys were coming off the they had played the Olympics. Some yep. of those guys, Middleton and Booker, they went right on the plane right after. And so they they really had like a probably a 22 month span where they were constantly playing. Where it it is a short season. I will say there was a there's a bet I found. It was Brogdon at plus 1600 for sixth man of the year. Oh, and absolutely. That, that seems like. I know Tyler Hero is also getting money in that category, but I think he's going to end up starting. So it seems like it's either going to be Brogdon or Jordan Poole would be like the favorites for that. And Brogdon's going to be able to get his share of points, and he's probably going to get enough spot starts that it's going to help his like points per game and help his averages out just quite quite enough that it'll keep him out of contention, or it'll keep him in contention to be a sixth man of the year, but not as a full time starter. So I, I, I love kind of a cute little. Cute I like little, that. Anybody, yeah, that's anybody on here likes any sort of action. Sure, that's one out there. And those are the ones where you you sprinkle a few bucks on, you know, a, a, a half, half a unit or a quarter unit, whatever you play, a few bucks that you have there at at plus sixteen hundred. As uh, he could be a real. Uh, he was someone that I wanted the Lakers to to look into, you know, because he he's a he was a little bit undervalued because he's had some injury bad mm-hmm. luck. And and that's one of the things where you know you take a chance on a guy like that because for Boston if he doesn't work out they didn't give up anything for him you know if he's hurt it's not like he's someone that you need to be a huge focal point of your like your starting lineup that's why your bet is great too because it's perfect this guy can be awesome off the bench and someone who comes in as a sixth man and then closes games for you when things are going well he has that type of of upside I like that move Boston is the second favorite to win the NBA championship. Plus 600 uh, Only behind the Milwaukee Bucks Who uh, we'll get to in just a little bit Let's get to the Brooklyn Nets it's a, This is such such a f- fascinating team To discuss <laughs> We we had no idea about it two months ago What any of this Roster was going to look like and now Kyrie's back, Kevin Durant's back Who knows if he's happy, who knows what Kyrie's thinking, who knows if Ben Simmons will shoot or wants to shoot But I, like on paper it's it's such a weird team to discuss because if you got the best version of those three guys and then you added a Joe Harris and you add some of their other bench pieces like Seth Curry, Patty Mills, someone like TJ Warren who's been hurt recently, he could be very nice for them if he's healthy and you know an, a piece off the bench or or another guy who helped them. He would have a monster bubble stretch a few years ago. But I don't know if I could like really invest or count on or depend on anything. If you told me one extreme or the other with this team, like, hey, Kyrie didn't show up. Uh, ben Simmons decided he doesn't want to play. Like, he can't shoot anymore. He's just not going to take a shot. And Durant's like, I'm out. Like, you could tell me anything. Or you could tell me that, hey, you know what? Ben Simmons is actually in a spot where he doesn't really have to shoot that much. He kind of facilitates and he's getting rebounds and doing dirty work. I could see that and you know Kyrie Maybe he wants to prove to people that He still got something he's going to play for a contract You know and Durant is You know 
I don't think Durant is going to tank a season when he only has maybe a, a couple years left. I don't know if he's mm-hmm. he's going to do that. So I just, Dave, I could see absolutely anything happening with this team. Give me the juice. I'm drinking all of it. I'm in, Gino. I'm Drink in. it. Drink I, it, baby. I, I am in on this Nets team. I right now, like talent wise, yes, they're they're upper echelon, but they've got enough question marks that people are going to be down on them. I think the value now that they're in, I think I think these guys are going to be in. Like Kyrie, for all of his flat earth and everything that he divides people on, we we saw him here preseason the other night. And it was just a reminder on how damn good Kyrie is when he's on the court and engaged and playing NBA basketball. I was begging for a Kyrie trade for Russ, man. I'll tell you. So as much as we all like. He diced, he hit open shots. He did whatever he wanted. Like he was so smooth. And I was like, man, this is, this is the good Kyrie. That was part of those Cleveland teams when, when he and LeBron won the title, like he's got it. He's got it there. I think the Royce O'Neal, they picked him up for, I believe a first rounder from Utah, but he's going to slide and be able yeah. to, play, to, be, to be a shooter. Like he was 38% on threes shooter versus the wolves the other night. Um, it'll be it, the, the Simmons thing is the question, but, but his fit is, is like the best fit he's been in before ever. He doesn't have to be a two even in this. He gets to be the three, right? A different role. He gets it. Kyrie will do the ball handling. He can get kind of set himself up, maybe in that dunker spot. He can mm-hmm. flash, the, flash the free throw line and kind of work from there. Like, I, I think it's in a good spot for him. And they do. They have enough other pieces around. I them. love their bench and their, their other like good. And I think like at least the other night, like the Cam Thomas, he he looked really good. Like he like he's not going to fit in with these other guys. So like he's not. He's not going to knock them off the pecking order, but he's going to be a guy that, all right, when Durant's going to sit for a game or two or, or just managing himself, like I think they can plug Thomas in and like like a game by game basis, and they'll be okay. I I yeah. am, I am in. They they've they've been through hell this off season with the whole Durant. Is he in? Is he out? Is Steve Nash and Marks like what's going to go on there? But now that now that it's on and now that it's there together, I really think. I don't know. I we'll, we'll see how these first 10 games are. I think they're going to come out pretty good. And I think it's, I think they're going to be okay. You're in the more you're talking me into them. I I'll start leaning towards their higher ceiling of their lower floor than their lower floor. in just that, like, man, that talent is there and the bench is good. Really. It's not like they're just going to be leaning on Durant and Kyrie. Like I like Curry and Mills. Like you said, Royce O'Neal, he's hit 38% of threes over the last three years. Cam Thomas is solid and if tj warren if, if he's healthy at all this guy was a stud in the bubble a couple years back and he's just had he kind of reminds me a little bit of brogdon you sort of just forgot about him because he's been sort of out of sight out of mind but and they've I, got a morris twin postseason teams all have morris twins and everybody morris does twins. 51 and a half we're seeing for their over under and you know what they're down to the fit there you can get them about nine or ten to one to win it all which is not bad and you know that that's not from a value standpoint that that's what you're right and that's why maybe you maybe they're tough to trust overall but they would be tough to trust as the favorite you're they're not the favorite this year a few years ago they may have been a bad bet when oh people were just penciling them in right now enough people are asking questions about Kyrie and Duran and maybe how it's all going to fit with Simmons that you know what they've dropped down to the third choice in the east now and yeah like the fifth or sixth choice overall that's not bad value on them 
and they, they got a lot of love with Harden when, when they first got Harden. Oh, what's this going to do? Well, Simmons, for all of his knocks, he is a better fit for the Durant Irving to be the third person on the team rather than Harden. He's younger. He's a better defender. Absolutely. And he can, and he can play off those guys. And he, he it's not like, oh, man, Ben Simmons is angry. He didn't get 20 shots tonight because that's just not who he is. He's not a fit. He doesn't need 15 to 20 shots. He's going to do seven to 12 points and 10 rebounds and 10 assists. And that's what's what he's going to do. And he's going to be able to play defense. Like both of those teams are going to be a lot better this year after that trade. And when they've, when they've been able to add pieces around now, like everybody might be fit better. Like in Philly too, they needed Harden. They needed a Harden type guy. And now Harden took a little bit less money, which was nice. And we'll talk about Philly in a few. And so they were able to get a couple nice pieces around, you know, bring in a guy like a Melton and, you know, just add a couple. So their defense might be a little bit better. And I think both of these teams will see this year, how that trade, you know, like if Simmons has anything left in, in the tank there, this team has a, has a high ceiling. And uh, we move along to the Charlotte Hornets. Who we're talking about next. Over under for them 34 and a half We already heard that LaMelo Ball is going to miss Probably about the first week or so Not great stuff from the health Of, of him and Lonzo too it's Something that you feel bad about Because I loved Lonzo I thought he had really high upside But they just, he's not been able to stay healthy Leangelo is the only healthy one And that's I know, not and, a good thing No and yeah I was going to say He's not the, the one with the most talent of all of them um, their uh, projected starters Lamelo, Terry Rozier, Hayward PJ Washington, Plumley. They also have Boatnight, Martin And Oubre Jr. as uh, Some big pieces off the bench The real key for this team is just Like if they get off to a slowish start This may be the Russ trade team I could absolutely see that Because this is something that was rumored I do think that One of these teams that doesn't start well Whether it's a Charlotte or Indy Somebody that doesn't at the trade deadline is just going to say, oh, hey, we'll we'll give you some guys that we don't want next year and we'll take Russ off your hands as an expiring contract. And they may just buy Russ out for the rest of the year and just not even play him. But this this could be the team because I could absolutely see the Lakers taking back a Gordon Hayward and a Terry Rozier and the money would match immediately for Russ. It would get Charlotte next year a chance to have a completely fresh book with a LaMelo ball to build around. And a lot of these teams, something at least to mention is we're getting to conversations about the teams that have lesser win totals to where if things don't go well for them, there is a stud rookie named Victor coming in next year, Wembyama, who a lot of teams may try to tank for or try to jockey position. Um, so I could see this being one of those teams where if – if they don't get off to a good start within a few weeks, then all of a sudden, ah, maybe we'll keep Lamelo out for a little while, and then we'll try to get rid of some of these pieces. I just, I think the floor may be ready to drop out for them in a tougher East this year. I completely agree with you on this team. Like it's a, and yeah, who knows about Lamelo and this injury? Like, oh, what about the Bridges the stuff too? That good to be able to survive without him. Like, look the Bridges they, stuff. Like, right? They started off really good last year, and then. Like the first like month or two, they were good and then completely faded. Right. Like we can't talk about Charlotte without talking about the, the miles bridges and his, his rest over the off season, how he was in line for a massive payday. And then he completely did what you can't do (laughs) in order to, in order to kiss all that goodbye. And it, 
who knows what that is for his NBA future or just even his future. Hopefully he gets the help that he needs. And then but, even in, in like a selfish gross way, right? Because he shouldn't be playing right now or he's got to figure yeah. it out. But like this, that guy was supposed to be a big piece for this team. And now he's just not going to be a, for, be there. And that, I mean, that can't help them on the court at all. That He had a great year last year. And he was, like you said, he was <clears throat> about to get a max deal. It's just another one of these teams where, hey, if if I'm wrong and they're able to win some games early and be a little bit better, so be it. But I just not a lot of great vibes, great energy coming into the year with this team when we've heard about some trade stuff and then Lamella's already hurt, Bridges isn't on the team, and it's just like it would be harder for me to to dive all in on on wanting to invest on on anything for them. Yeah, I'm 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 a sell on this team and it feels like stuff could be moved. Like Gordon Gordon Hayward seems like he'll He'll be on a different team by probably Christmas, would yep. be my guess. Somebody's going to have one more year of $30 million for him. They'll take a chance on it. Terry Rozier, the same thing. He's locked up for one more year. And then you have Cody Martin and Kelly Oubre Jr., who are also nice pieces that, you know, some team, a team like the Lakers would love a, a Kelly Oubre Jr., you know, as a wing-type player. So, yeah, I just I see this team as maybe a little bit more of a seller as we – Continue like along. A fantasy basketball team where the owner is kind of just out of it, and you just want to start plucking pieces from that team. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you're right. You're right. The uh, Bulls are next, and it's tough for this team to really know what their ceiling is without the health of Lonzo. And anything you hear about Lonzo's health, health sounds kind of scary. Like it, it doesn't sound really positive at all uh, about knee stuff, and that's a bummer because with Lonzo last year. They had a really good start to the year. DeRozan was awesome, and they weren't deep enough or they didn't have a good enough defense because Williams got banged up, and then Caruso was hurt, and Lonzo was hurt. So they cratered towards the end of the year, and now I'm a little bit worried. I mean, they, they locked in Levine. I think they'll be okay, but if the rest of the East got a little bit better, I I kind of see them in the... In the Atlanta-ish range where, where we were talking about them too In that like, I like some of their pieces I just don't know if I can stack them ahead of Four or five other teams in the East They were really bad when they had to play Against the other best teams in the East last year mm-hmm. But um, and I, I don't know if you can get the same kind of a, a year Like DeMar was like MVP for the first two months of the season yeah. He was in that conversation I don't, I don't know if you can get that level of play from him again Like he completely overachieved Like not, 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 I don't know necessarily over cheap, but he completely maxed out on what he was. And Absolutely. Was, <laughs> all of like the, it seemed like it, every night it was, oh, DeRozan with a game winning shot after 38 points as the Bulls, like surprise so and so. And like, like it was, it seemed like it was every night. He was, he was getting the shots and he was, he was pulling them out wins and helping out Levine. I just, I don't know what this team, yeah, the Lonzo injury is a killer. Uh, Io Dosamu, like, he he became a kind of a stud. He was a he was a piece that helped save them through a mm-hmm. lot of that when they were going through some times. He he saved them. Is he gonna be? He's not gonna be able to sneak up on anybody this year. Like yeah, Caruso. Yeah, is, is Caruso? Can he stay healthy? Like if you have a bulldog like that who can play defense and just kind of organize the defense from the perimeter, how he does that helps out everybody a lot more. But it's 
we'll see. They 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 made that big trade a couple of years ago to get Vucevic when they sent Wendell Carter and some picks down to Orlando, and I don't know. It can't really. It didn't work out that year, and it, no, last year it didn't really work out. Like I, I like a lot of their individual pieces. I don't know if the sum of the parts that it all work together. If if you told me, hey, the playoffs are going to start. This team is in. And Caruso, Levine, Demar, Patrick Williams, Vucevic, Lonzo, Dragic, Io, Colby White, Javante Green. Those guys are all healthy. Hey, you know what? That's a pretty decent squad. Um, I still think they may be missing a little bit defensively and a little bit like size-wise there, you know. But it just—it's all going to come down to like a lot, so many moving pieces with their health, and I think that's kind of why their projections, their win totals, forty-one and a half, right about a five hundred team. And that sort of feels like, you know, maybe they can be five games one way or the other, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to be last year at one, one point early in the year, they were like the number one seed for a little while. They had such a great start. I don't think the floor completely drops out because I do think when you have guys like DeRozan and Levine and Vucevic, if they're healthy, they'll give you a floor to where you won't be way, way under 500, but I just like I don't know even if everything went all the best for them. How it how feels good. like they're gonna they're one of those mid tier East teams, and it really seems this year maybe compared probably compared to most with with the high end. Uh, you said with Victor, but also with Scoot. Mm-hmm. Like you've got you've got your high end teams that are gonna want to kick everyone's ass because <laughs> they they mm-hmm. want, they want to avoid that top six situation. They want to be in the top six and high, preferably the one or the two. And then you've got those teams probably seven through 11 in each side that are middling. Who could it be? And it's basically one or two injuries could decide where those teams are. And then you've got your teams 12 through 15. And that could even come up to teams like 10, 11 that, all right, we're angling for these lottery balls. I agree. The, the last like Chicago is going to be in that spot where they might be able to one way or the, the other good teams are going to, the good teams are going to beat them and they're going to beat the really bad teams. And they're going to kind of be right on that five floating. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things where you could see it going one way or the other, then right in that like six, seven ish range, or maybe right down to where they're like, Hey, is it even worth it right now? Do we, do we try to get this Victor kid? Or like you said, scoot one of these, one of these really high level lottery picks that have huge ceiling next year. They're, they're, a couple of these fascinating East teams And the next one is another one that made a big move The Cleveland Cavaliers They bring in Donovan Mitchell Kind of snuck up on the Donovan Mitchell trade When everyone felt like he was probably going to go to New York He comes in You add him to Darius Garland And then you have Mobley and Jared Allen You have Okoro in there also With Car- uh, Lavert, Robin Lopez, Kevin Love Ricky Rubio, Chetty Osman. I think they may have to work out just sort of like the bench a little bit, but if the starting five, they could have four really, really solid pieces. And then that fit, if it's a Coro or if it's someone like Levert, I don't know if they want to bring him off the bench more. If they can get that fifth spot worked out and, you know, Ricky Rubio, he's coming back from an injury, but he's at this point, he's still, you know, Rubio, he still could be fine off the bench and be someone that runs a second unit. If his health is there, I they could kind of have like a fun veteran bench with him and, and love and Lopez and Levert um, in the mix there. What do you think about the Cavs? I love, I love the Cavs. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be one of the top two or three teams, 
I do too. Maybe they could be like, but they're they're a fun team. Like their backcourt, Garland Mitchell are going to be, they're going to keep things fun. Evan Mobley, right? Like how awesome was he? You saw him when he was at USC. And then last year, like, Whoa, crap. This guy's a, this guy's Kevin Garnett, Chris Bosch. He plays defense. He can shoot. He's of every play is a lob threat to him. Where no, I, I, there are pieces around it. Yeah, you look and you got Levert. You got they've just paid Dean Wade a pretty good amount of money. Yeah, like they, they've got guys. Kevin Love last year. Everybody kind of thought, all right, he's going to be just kind of bought out, or he's just he played pretty well, fade away into the sunset. And all of a sudden, Kevin Love was not peak Kevin Love, but he had found his. All right, what what can veteran Kevin Love do to stay relevant in the NBA? And that was exactly what it was. He. He shot 10 threes a game, and he was a leader for them off the court. And I I really think they're going to be a fun team. Like, So I got another fun one here for you, Gino. Okay. Got, so Garland, so 8.6 assists last year is what he averaged. He is plus 220 for nine assists or more. And if you really want to get frisky with them, you can get 17 to 1 on Garland at 10 to 10 oh, or more man. for them to win the division. He was someone who I was so impressed with last year, just watching him be like a floor general and a facilitator and how it looked like he was just running offenses. And gosh, the one the one thing that I, I I don't think people remember or realize about Mitchell because maybe last year they they didn't have the greatest exit. Donovan Mitchell is seventh all time in playoff scoring average. Points per game <laughs> the, the only players in history That have scored more points per game in the playoffs Than Donovan Mitchell Michael Jordan, Luka Doncic, Allen Iverson Kevin Durant, Jerry West, and LeBron That's that's a <laughs> wild number And like, granted, he, that one series right, Was it versus it, Denver it was, He had the bubble, like the bubble we had a couple But he's had 33 uh, He's had 30 plus games In the playoffs so far and he's averaging 28 plus, which is just something that shows you that the guy can do it even on the biggest mm-hmm. stages. The issue that he had, we that was one thing we sniffed out last year that the Utah, they just felt like the team ready to implode. And they were. Him and Rudy, they weren't, they didn't like each other. They didn't pass the ball each up to each other. You could see it was just weird stuff. And there was a bad energy from them, the way that they got beat a couple different years in a row. And it was just, it was like bigger than everything in Utah. I like him offensively. I think the with this team, they should be able to fit pretty well with the two other bigs. And Mobley is so versatile. He can stretch the floor. He can come out. You can run the offense through him. Jared Allen was real. They were 35 and 21 with Jared Allen last year. And he, 35 right, and he was out for the playoffs. And then he, like, I don't, did he end up coming back for the playoffs? He tried and he just he like, he can, it was, yeah, he like tried the one or two and it just, it, you could tell he barely had it. They were nine and 17 when he didn't play last year. Yeah. I like this team a lot. I think they're good. I think they're, I don't know if they're an NBA title team. I could see them being a very good regular season team because they have a lot of young guys. And if they stay healthy and these guys are all young and it's the first year together and and Mitchell might be extra motivated to kind of show that, Hey, look, I can be kind of a leader of these guys. And look, you know, I could see them being a team that takes the, the, the regular season a little more seriously than Milwaukee does, you mm-hmm. know, or Miami, the heat, you know, some of those older teams who are like, ah, like we'll just get into the playoffs and refine. This team might really care night in, night out. Oh, I think JV Bickerstaff's going to get these guys. They're 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 going to play and they're going to play hard. Like 
Oh, I like this. We're on the the cabbies. Rubio with that's where just a veteran when you've got Rubio and Love on the bench, like having voices and being, I think, respected in the locker room how they are. Like these guys are gonna play hard. I like I agree. They're gonna show up every night when and and they're one of those teams that it feels like they're in that upper echelon above Chicago. They're completely agree. them and then they're gonna take care of business versus the bad teams. And no, my, my only other note on that was it seems like Jared Allen's old. I don't know if it's just the hairdo or what it is, or if he's been around a different team. He's 24 years old. I know. So, <laughs> it feels like he's been in the NBA right now who are like that, where it's like, oh, this guy, eh, it seems like he's a little bit older. And then you look at the age and you're like, what? 24? Like he's there. There's still his ceiling. We may not see a ceiling yet. He might be a couple of years away from it. It's, I mean, they would have a tough road come playoff time to have to beat a couple other really good teams in like back to back to back series. But if you're just looking at value, you know, we're playing the race, you're looking at the odds of every horse in the race. Right now, they're plus they're 33 to 1 to win it all, which is the 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 14th overall price. I mean, like I like them better than being the 14th best chance of winning it all. Oh yeah, for sure. I I I think they're that's completely accurate on them. Go so, Cleveland! Uh, I know. Let's do it. You and uh, you and me, Cavs fans. This year, forty-seven and a half is their win total projected. If you wanted to bet over or under, let's move to the Mavs. Now, this team is it was it was hard for me to get a feel for because with Luca, anything can happen. Like this guy is as good as anyone. I still don't know if they're quite deep enough when I, I look at their roster and. They lost Jalen Brunson, who was fantastic for them in the playoffs when they needed a little help. They do have Spencer Dinwiddie, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, JaVale. The, Tim Hardaway Jr. will be back, so that'll help them fill some of that scoring void. Christian Wood, Maxi Kleber. They did seem like a team that kind of got a good draw and just sort of like some good bounces throughout the playoffs last year. Phoenix had that total no-show. Um, they caught... That Utah team that we felt like was going to implode And they did So I I don't think they'll be bad And I think with Luka their floor is is fine I just I don't know if I would be betting them To win it all with this roster I still feel like they maybe need a move or two more But Christian Wood is the key Because I think he can be pretty good I just don't know Can he be pretty good on a good team Or a team that needs to win I just I can't count out a team with Luka But I don't know if I'm ready to go bet with both hands Anything on them right now it's right, they, like they're Western Conference finalists from last year, and they've got one of the top four players in the NBA. And yet, when people are talking about the pecking order of the West, they kind of fall into one of those teams that might be in like the play-in tournament. Yeah, is kind of where they fall, which is a very weird dynamic for them. And like you mentioned, their depth. I think their depth is actually all right. I think they've got they've got like solid NBA players. Through like spots nine and ten on the roster, I think the problem is though is just as as we go through other teams and even we see with Cleveland, like you just have a big drop off from Luca to Absolutely. Who their second best player is to who their third best player is. Mm-hmm. Well, then once they get to spots like four and five, yeah, their spots four, five, six, seven are all pretty interchangeable mm-hmm. and all fit in there. But it's just like, all right, when when Luca was out last year, like when they won playoff games without Luca. But that was also because of Brunson picked up a lot of that load and carried that. All right. Well, 
how is that going to be this year? Is Luca going to? Luca appears to have came came into camp in very good shape and looks ready to ready to make his mark and make a stamp on the NBA and continue to do that, I guess. But if Luca misses any time, what does this team do? And they they've got a good system and like kid put together has a pretty good defensive like defensively this team is mm-hmm. lock in absolutely and that was probably where people were surprised could take over. last year that was kind of the surprising is how defensively they were good and they i don't think people were expecting that from them so yeah i just I, they were one of the tougher teams for me to get a real feel for you know to get a gauge on because I, I i think they're six i would say like five through eight is where i would take them in um and you know, with Luca, you probably give them the benefit of the doubt in like five or six. But yeah, they're they're in a really tough West. And like you said, it's I completely agree with your assessment. I like their five, six, seven, eight guys that I think anyone would want to have as their fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth players. They just don't really have that number two or three that are as good as the opposing number twos or threes. Yep. You know, like almost every team they stack up with, you're like, okay, they have Luca, get the they have LeBron, then. They have Anthony Davis, then who's the next one here? Like we just said with Cleveland, they've got Mitchell, Garland, Mobley. Well, you've got Luca. There's nobody else that's really on the same tier as those other, you know, stars. So then you yeah, Dinwiddie and Wood, I would say you're a second and third best players. And if if Dallas, it seems like if they're gonna max out this year and be the best version of Dallas that they can be, they need Christian Wood to be that clear number two. Yep, and, and maybe maybe off, he can start off the bench, and I just we'll see if that switches at some point to him be, becoming a starter and playing thirty six minutes a game. But if if they're going to elevate and be and be their best version, it seems like Christian Wood has to be that number two. We uh, continue along. The Dallas Mavericks win total was forty eight and a half. We move to the Denver Nuggets, and I just I don't know how this team. Isn't better than they were last year When they, they were without Murray all of last season Michael Porter barely played Jokic was out there Some nights with guys that I didn't even know who they were On the <laughs> roster and you and I are playing Fantasy basketball yeah. and stuff It's like I know a lot of these I know everybody's ninth and 10th players Because I'm usually having to get them on a DraftKings lineup Here and like I'm I didn't know some of the guys And, and now if Jamal Murray's back and healthy it's a little bit, you know, I'm sure I don't think you can just immediately pencil him in But if he, you know, if, if it takes him a few weeks to a month to get back to form You have Michael Porter Jr. Now everyone's just slotted better That pulls Aaron Gordon down to like your fourth option That gives KCP wide open shots I think KCP is going to be a really nice fit for them They have a young guy, Bones Highland, who they like Who could be like a real nice um, fill it up guard off the bench they added Jeff Green and Bruce Brown, who cuts all over the place. Jokic is just going to be dishing like incredible passes to this guy as he's just cutting for layups. I kind of like the the lay of this team. Jokic has never missed more than ten games in a season either. You just sort of know when he's out there, this team wins. And I think if they have kind of a built-in upside, if if they're too. Injured players from last year can come back to like somewhat of their health, just maybe like ninety percent of what they were. Yeah, I, I, Michael Porter Jr. with him being on the roster, like he, he it just seems like an injury is always he's the one that's so like, hard to trust for everybody. But it seems especially for him, injury is one possession away. 
type Because it's a back thing too The back ones are hard You know he's had back stuff And it's like he had back stuff Before he even got drafted ever I, I feel a lot more confident about Murray Getting back to maybe close to where Murray was mm-hmm. um, um, You know after a month or two But you're right if, if I was worried about these injuries Like the Porter one If you told me in three weeks His back's flaring up again I'd be like ah Okay, you know, that's just a bummer because those back things just they, they're hard to get over. And it's not like they're like with him and with his contract, like it's not they're, they're not going to like push him to like, hey, play through what we need you here. No, like they're going to be very careful with him. And just I don't, with Jokic, I know he's battling a little bit of like a wrist injury, I think, right now. And it's he'll he'll be fine and he's on the court. But what happens if something does go on with Jokic, like with with this team, like it, you're, then you're going to be dependent on guys coming back from injury to carry them, which is and I like. Granted, I was the person last year on on our on the same podcast. I had said Bones Highland, watch out for that guy. He did. I saw him in preseason, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Whoa, this this guy's a light." That was a good call. Scoring. Like, yeah. Sure enough, that was what he became. I I think the Bruce Brown addition for them is going to be a very good one. I. Especially if he if he gets minutes with Jokic and his ability to like kind of cut off the ball and play kind of probably, he, I think he slides in there. He's going to get a lot of minutes on this team. I, I I think Bruce Brown will really fit. He'll figure out. I think he's a smart player and he'll be able to fit in with these guys. I think there's a pretty good basketball IQ level with this Denver squad. Totally agree. It feels like this is maybe one of the teams where maybe we're. Slightly differing on a, a little bit So uh, Denver we'll see if we have a, Maybe we'll have like a, a Beer bet or something on uh, on, on, <laughs> on Denver and their, and their win total And see how they do I think it's around 51 51 and a half or so For Denver The Detroit Pistons you know what They're kind of fun this year Dave They they got a, they, so they have some reason to be Excited if you were a fan And they, they probably haven't felt that way For a couple years at least with this team Cade Cunningham, he didn't start the season on time, but the last 64 games, only he uh, he hit a point total, 1,100 points, 350 rebounds, 350 assists. Only five other rookies had done that in NBA history. Oscar Robinson, Magic Johnson, Alvin Adams, LeBron James, and Luka. I think he kind of went a little under the radar, and people didn't realize how how good he was playing last mm-hmm. year. Um, then you bring in Jaden Ivey, who is young. He's going to be a little bit immature, but in a year or two, this guy has a really high ceiling. They brought in Bogdanovich, uh, you yep. know, th- that could really help them just being like an adult in the room. This guy can go out and get you 20. He, you know, he's really consistent. They brought in Alec Burks also, who's a fine veteran and Corey Joseph, who's a fine veteran who can help some of the young guys. You know, they like Sadiq Bay. They like Isaiah Stewart. They were really pr- impressed with what Bagley gave them last year, who was someone who always had skills and ability, but he was just kind of in the wrong places. And, and then when Bagley came to Detroit for the last couple weeks, he was really, really good. I think this is going to be a, a team that takes a nice step forward this year. I don't know how big it will be. I, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to be a 500 team or anything. Their win total is projected at 29 and a half. I would bet the over, though, because I honestly think. I don't know how much they they have a lot of their young pieces. I don't know if they're going to be interested in having another tank year. They might be the type of team that wants to 
win some games at the end of the year or try to get it like a play-in for a team like this would feel like a massive step forward with what they have. I don't know if they can get there, but I I have some like a real lot of optimism. This might be a team I bet night like throughout the year when they catch teams on either back-to-backs or in stretches where they're sitting guys or maybe they're taking Detroit a little lightly. I just think they're going to be much feistier and competitive than they've been. I think this is a team that's kind of similar to my Timberwolves last year. Where totally agree. The year, so like, there, I think the stat was they'd started twelve and forty-five last year, right? And then over the final twenty-five games, when most teams that are struggling kind of just tank their way to the better pick, they fought and they like they went eleven and fourteen, which all right, that's that's not great by any means, but it showed all right. We don't want to instill losing in these guys. Let's play and see. When you know, in those, in that stretch, that uh, that at the end, they went something like twenty-one and three against the spread in that stretch, which which shows you that Vegas kind of wasn't was off on them. They mm-hmm. were overachieving on them. They weren't winning games because they still didn't have quite enough talent. But now, you know, you add in a couple veteran guys like a Bogdanovich and a Burks. And and you have another year of development from a Cade, and maybe one every two or three nights you get an Ivy game, and maybe you can't really count on it consistently because he's young. But one or two, of the, you know, uh, one or two games of the week he'll pop for you. I, I think they're just going to be fun to watch on League Pass a lot more, and not like a oh Detroit's playing right now. You just sort of want to turn the turn the page. Like I, that's a great comparison, like you said with Minnesota. Can they? And and when you look at their win total, it's twenty nine and a half, right around thirty. Can they get to like? 30? I think they get to the play in. Me too. Can they get to thirty eight to forty? Not like the seven or eight. I think they're eight, the nine or the ten. Absolutely. They lose that first game of the play in, but I I think they're because they're they're they've got too much young talent that I don't think they're going to throw it away, barring anything if they stay healthy. I, I think Ivy's really good. I think Cade showed, like you said, where he kind of. He didn't. You can't sneak up on anybody as the number one pick, but like the way just how it took him to get going, people kind of forgot about him. And then he played really dang good. I, I think this there. I think there's something there. And like Dwayne Casey, I don't think Dwayne Casey's really wanting to like lose anymore. Like he's no for his own like job security for everything like that. Like it's it's time to win some games, and I think that's what this team's gonna do. Because I. The, I don't think they're in contention to be one of like those really like bad teams. So then, no. all right, let's go for it. Let's beat yeah. the bad teams. When when a few of those teams in the middle, if a team like we said, like maybe like a Bulls or one of the, I could see that like Charlotte, those teams, I could see saying, okay, hey, screw it, we're gonna give up now. You know, like maybe we're just gonna tank. Maybe we sit a couple of our guys and we go for a victor and like we kind of give up on. I don't know. I could see Washington even being a team like that if like Porzingis or Beal got hurt and like with some injuries from some of those guys. I don't think this team was gonna do that at the end. I think they feel like we have some of our pieces now. Let's like we're we're not tanking for Victor here. We have a Cade, we have an Ivy, we have these guys that we need now. Now we want to develop these guys. So uh yeah, we're both high on Detroit a little bit this year, having a having a step forward here. We move to Golden State. They win the title last year. But then you have uh, sort of the weird stuff with Draymond punching Jordan Poole. I mean, it didn't look great. I, I don't know. These kind of things happen, right? I'm not, I'm not really going to defend Draymond. I'm not going to come after him. I don't know what went down. I had heard Poole was pushing him and stuff like that. All I know is it didn't look good. 
the video. The, the video didn't look good of him <laughs> just sort of just cheap shotting a guy, you know, pretty brutal shot. And you're supposed to be a team leader. So, I, again, I didn't know what went on behind closed doors. I'm sure they figured it out. Michael Jordan did this. I was a Kobe fan. Kobe wasn't the greatest guy in the world. He probably punched a few teammates, but I don't know. It just doesn't seem like something I'd want going into defending the NBA title. I, you know, it feels like, you know, Draymond is kind of been like the leader of this team. When he struggled mm-hmm. in the playoffs last year, they struggled. When he wasn't hitting shots, they had to kind of bench him at certain stretches. And then he finally kind of woke up to where. Like they were leaving him wide open. He would be afraid to shoot at points. I think he got his confidence back a little bit, but I mean, this roster is is kind of fun because they do have such a really good combo of Steph, Clay, Draymond, the old guard, with Wiggins, who was so incredible in the playoffs for them last year. And he's sort of like the middle point that that bridges the, the young guys of Poole, Kuminga, Moody, and Wiseman. So they're pretty well built. They just they're gonna need those young guys to really produce this year because like that's their bench. Their bench is Kuminga, Moody, Wiseman, Poole. And it's not like they have a lot of the other veterans around that are gonna fill in. They're just gonna need these guys to produce. But they they built a really good team and they're gonna be paying a hell of a luxury tax. I, I was reading too. I mean, they just out they they wanna keep their championship team together. I imagine they're going to be one of the better teams in the West if things go well. But I don't know. What what did you feel about all the Draymond stuff? When even Draymond came out in his press conference and did like the, yeah, the video didn't look that good. I know. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, 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 like, like, and you, you watch enough WWE, it kind of looked like a, he looked like Gunther and Sheamus. Um, you right. It did. It did. That was a good, that's a good call. That was a good call. Hopefully Chad Cooper listens and appreciates that one. Um, he will. He will. <laughs> but no, I. Okay, so they won the title last year. I they're seven to one right now. I I think this team is set to win the title again this year. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm going there. I no, they they're. I, I, went, I would say I'm a chalk eating weasel, but I'm not a chalk eating weasel because there's a different team that's on top above them that I can't. I understand why, but I'm not ever going to do that. But no, I like. If there's a team that can handle the Draymond fiasco, it's probably this team. I know. Right? Like, they've got the leaders mm-hmm. around them. They've got the front office. They've got the coach. Like, and you feel like in like a month, Draymond KD thing a couple of years, like five six years ago. Oh, I know you going to completely derail them, and go, they still won the title. In a month, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna see Draymond like making fun of himself for doing it yeah. too. You know, like it's going to become like a like they're going to embrace it. I could I could even see that happening. That like this team because yeah, they they just have such a good organization, a good foundation, and I love the way they've built this roster. I totally agree with you. If I was gonna if I was given one team that I could pick to bet to win it all this year, not based on like who is the greatest value, just who do you think is going to win. I would pick the Warriors, and they're like around seven to one right now. And like you said, they're not fa- they're not even the favorite. They're like the third or co-third mm-hmm. to fourth choice. So I, that actually might even present you some value because they could have an incredible ceiling if a few of these young guys hit. Like we don't even know Wiseman might be okay. You know, we yeah. haven't even seen anything from from him. You know, look, <laughs> like like look at like very young guys. Like we we look at a team like we just talked about, like Charlotte and. 
Chicago and it's like, all right, these teams aren't as good. But then you look like for the youth on their rosters and you go, all right, there's, there's not a whole lot of like high upside youth. And then you go over to Golden State and they've got high end starters. And then you look at like their youth and it's like Jordan Poole, young guy, really damn good. Kuminga, young guy, could be really good. Moody, young guy, could be really damn good. Wiseman, second overall pick three years ago. Like they've got, they're loaded with talent. I, the Andrew Wiggins, another person that people just forget about him too. Controversy. You kind of forget that he's there, you know? And like, right, he had the terrible contract, right? It was a la- everybody laughed at the contract. It was bad. Well, that was the NBC All-Star team last year. And they <laughs> just re-upped him. As we see the money on these guys on contracts, that's going to be overpaid as the salary cap goes up. And they just got Wiggins on a non-max deal. That's going to pay him like $26 million a year, 26 27 which is still, <laughs> it's a laughable amount of money. But compared to what other guys are getting, even like what compared to what Poole got, like Poole's going to be making six million more than him. Like Tyler Hero's got is a larger contract than him. The Wiggins contract in the scheme of things is going to probably, will he be the guy that he was in the NBA finals? I don't know, but at least he got the taste of it. Yeah. Like it's probably be a pretty, he went from maybe one of the worst contracts to probably one of the better value contracts in the league. If I can even say that, but and, no, you're you're right, and and I think Clay, he was he's kind of working through some like mental stuff right now. But physically, this should be the year where he takes a nice step forward back. I mean, I, I think people forget how many games these his team missed of injuries last year mm-hmm. with Curry and with Draymond and with Clay, and they they had like no games together at all until the playoffs. Yeah, they may be just. Like better and what's nice, like okay, you want Clay to sit out for a game? That's fine. Like you ask Poole for a little bit more now. Yeah, and and he was fine stepping into that role last year. He had no problem when you asked him to, you know, carry a little bit more of the load offensively. Completely fine there. Or a Wiggins, like Wiggins is Wiggins been in situations where he was your your number one guy on teams, and now it's so nice for him because he gets to be like a guy where you don't even really slot him into a role. It's like, oh, hey, what do we need tonight? Andrew can do that. Yep. And be it's like, a oh. two player tonight, or be your number five, or be your one. Like, or like, play defense, stop yep. the opposing team's best scorer tonight. Or, hey, go get, like, go lead the NBA Finals in rebounds. Yeah. You know, like, just that. That's what's what's awesome. And I felt good for him being able to to show that last year. And this team is going to be really. I mean, Don, they got Dante Divincenzo too. Yeah, uh, yeah, we didn't even mention him, and they, he was a that's pickup a, for them. Yeah, that's a nice that's a nice depth add. So two more two more Warriors notes. Just because we've already covered these other ones. Warriors Please. to beat the Nets 35 to 1. Oh, that's a nice price. Hell Nets yeah. To beat Golden State 45 to 1. So if you play like an exact box between them. Sure. And then Golden State, Golden State to beat Boston or Boston to beat Golden State, both 35 to 1 for an NBA Finals rematch. So I think those are both very, very live. Those are nice if you're see. Yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with throwing a few in right now. If you're listening to us before the season starts, put a couple of wagers in. You have a few bucks riding and uh, something to root for and have some fun throughout the year. One of the worst teams in the league last year, and uh, they are towards the very bottom as far as odds to win it all this year. They're over-under win total, 23.5. That's the Houston Rockets. But I will say, for bad teams, 
they have some interesting individual pieces. I just have no idea if they'll be able to mesh to gel if they care all that much about winning. But Jalen Green, Jabari Smith Jr. I actually like Shangun, the big man. I think he's he's got like some skills. He can pass the ball a little bit, and he's he's interesting. Tate, um, I have you know I, I think he's got some ability too. I just this team is so young. They have so many young guys. I don't know how you can trust them. Eric Gordon seems like someone who could be a nice trade piece to a veteran team, that, or like at some point in the year can help. And uh, Kevin Porter Jr. was a guy who I remember from USC, and he's just he's kind of been his own worst enemy. You know, off the court stuff has hurt him. On the court wise, he's really good. There, there could be kind of like a fun bad team. That maybe you could have a couple fantasy players on That have some big games here and there I just, I don't know how much they're going to be able to string stuff together I I am, yeah, this team is interesting Jalen Green showed, like, all right, this kid can play I agree Last year, like, he was, he came from the G League So people didn't really know him Like, we didn't get to see him in college Like, what some of the other guys is But, like, he showed he could play Uh, Yeah, I saw they just paid Kevin Porter Was it four, like, when I talked about the Wiggins deal they paid Kevin Porter like four years, eighty-four million dollars. I know. Which I I I don't know. Like like if 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 you're sure, then I I guess go for it. But when you're not sure and like taking up cap space, like if Jalen Green and Jabari Smith, like all right, that's going to be your duo. Do you want to do you want to take care of some of your cap space on somebody else? Like I don't know. It's mm-hmm. it seems like it seems like they're one potentially just. Hopefully not like major injury, but just one little sideline injury away from one either Jalen or Jabari Smith that they can they can go victor hunting. Yeah, um, I think this could be one of them too. Like they just and what hurts is that just they're just so young in just a yeah. deep, deep competitive West. Like I just I can't find many teams that you would look at and say, oh, this roster is better than them, or they're more they're gonna win. They're more likely to win more games than them. I think they're. Third from the bottom They're like basically tied with the Spurs And only the Jazz I think are are Like slightly below them in a lot of like Betting odds and as far as like Win totals and projections those three teams Are right at the bottom of the West Yeah for sure I am shocked that Eric Gordon is still on this team I, I thought he was going to get traded by the deadline last year And then Me too. in draft night or over the summer And summer Dude, he is still On this team I, I would love this guy on the, on the Lakers the, Lake, the team that needs some shooting Mm-hmm. Like come off the bench, be be like a rotation guy off the bench, or he can start. He just he doesn't want to play. You don't want to play him thirty five minutes anymore at this point. But this guy can still win you a game and hit you three or four threes, you know, and be someone in a playoff series that you would really like. So I, I'd expect he's helping a uh, a team, a more veteran, ready to win now team later on in the year. Take I could see this in, like Denver if Denver tries yeah. to like strike yes. peace, like. Yes. All right, like we'll, we'll go dangling for somebody here for enough. Yes. Shooter. If KCP isn't giving them what they're wanting out of KCP or just even KCP insurance, that could, could be a see. Team. He could even be like a. I, I could. I don't know if it could be. I could see him finding his way to like a Cleveland and fitting mm-hmm. in well there. You know, as like somebody coming off the bench on that bench unit with like Rubio, or you know, being able to fill help if you know when Mitchell and Garland maybe have a night off, hit a couple shots. Like he could. He could have some value. For a team as uh, Yeah they have a lot of young guys Terry Eason, Ty Ty Washington, Josh Christopher And Garuba uh, Some of their other projected reserves 23 and a half on their win total 
as we move to the Pacers. What's tough about this team is they're like the biggest trade rumor team for Westbrook. And even if it's not for Westbrook, I don't know how long how much longer Buddy Heald or Miles Turner are going to be on this team. So they feel like one of those teams that could really maybe be uh hey, we want to build around Halliburton. We brought Matherit in. Can we go get a Victor and now have a couple of young pieces that we really like and build our team around moving forward? I just don't think they're trying to win all that much right now. I'm pretty high on Halliburton. I think he's he's really good. And they have McConnell, Duarte, Daniel Tice, Aaron Neesmith. Like this win total for them is only 23 and a half. So it's one of the lowest overall. And they have the second lowest odds in the East to win the division and or to win the uh, the conference and to win it all. So I mean, this could be one of the worst teams in the league, I think. I do like two or three of their players, but yeah, overall I don't they just don't feel like they have a whole lot of top tier talent, and I'm expecting Heald and Miles to be out. It, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm torn on this team because it, I do think, yeah, Halliburton, I think, is really, really, really good. And like when, right, when that trade went off for Sabonis last year, and people thought that Halliburton was probably one of the untouchable of the players in Sacramento that would be moved, because like, well, Halliburton's not going to be the guy. And then all of a sudden, Halliburton gets traded and kind of blew up. NBA Twitter for a few days as that everybody tried to figure out that trade. But yeah, the whole Miles Turner, like I know the Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, like that for for Russ, they're like we were saying with the Lakers, and it kind of depends if the Lakers want to throw in those on those draft picks. picks. But it's like I still think Miles Turner is pretty highly regarded. And I think I know he's got like a year left on his deal, but I, I'm also shocked that that's like the best deal you can get for him. I, I would agree because I think this. Let me say, I think this is a fantastic deal for the Lakers. I, I, can, I, I do. I think it's a fantastic deal for the. Lakers. If they can work those two much. guys for Russ somehow and have to even pay him what pay him one more year or whatever, like those those two are a great fit, and I think they can be still valuable players in the NBA. Like Miles Turner is good, and he's he stretched his game out to the three point line. And the thing about him too is I don't know if you. If you ever followed him on social media, he's just like a funny, goofy guy. Mm-hmm. Like, and that he he seems like he'd be a really good locker room guy too, kind of to have around. Um, yeah, I I'm sort of just fingers crossed, hoping it goes through because I agree with you. Like, if you're indie, I feel like you should be able to get a little bit more for those guys than just an expiring Russ. Yeah, I I think so. Like, right? Like, let's say Detroit is hanging around. Like, all right, uh, Jalen Duran, like high upside rookie. All right, well. What about him in like a piece trying to get Miles Turner? Like, yeah. If, if like, hey, let's let try to get us a little stuff. Maybe this is the big guy. Maybe this is the big to put with our two youthful backcourt. Like, and I, I think know. most teams would would be fine with a Buddy Heald guy, a guy that can shoot like that. I mean, Buddy's not a fantastic defender or anything. He's not like a great two way player. But if you're a team that's trying to win now and you're like a piece away, he might be that piece for you that can come in and just light it up. Mm-hmm. I totally agree that that's something. And I think Mithurin, like at Arizona, right? Like he mm-hmm. was his second year is kind of when he sprouted. He was a sixth overall pick. He wasn't, he wasn't the name as some of these other guys. And he, I think people were a little bit surprised he went six, but I don't know. He's 
plus 650, I think, right now to win the rookie of the year, and he's going to get minutes. He's thrown up a ton of shots, too. Like, right off the bat, he's just coming. I picked him in fantasy in two different leagues because I noticed the same, like, where you're going, too. Yeah. Like, he's about 20 20 points preseason, but he's scoring about 20 points per game in preseason. So, all right, Rick Carlisle is going to give him probably a little bit of a little bit of leash here and go have some fun like oh well we lost uh, <laughs> like but yeah him and chris duarte like this is an entertaining team i just don't mm-hmm. know if, how much they're gonna win they're gonna translate into wins but they could yeah get another one who could be fun to have some fantasy pieces here and there let's move to the clippers they are your favorite in the west they are favored in the west projected at 52 and a half wins but as far as betting to win uh the NBA championship They're right on the top line uh, From the west They're third overall Just behind Boston and Milwaukee And this team is very good They're very deep They have a lot of wing type players If Kawhi Leonard and Paul George Are healthy And can play And are ready to go Come playoff time This is going to be a very good team I just don't know how you can trust that now After a fourth year Of Kawhi being gone again If he If he is healthy Absolutely, they brought in John Wall We don't know what we're going to get from him But a ceiling from John Wall That would that would look really good here Paul George, John Wall, Kawhi, Marcus Morris, Zubat Je- uh, Reggie Jackson, Norm Powell Who's a really nice fit for them Robert mm-hmm. Covington, Terrence Mann, and Luke Kennard They're deep, that's about 10 deep The concerns I have with them are pretty simple Can they stay healthy and they probably need to get one more big or a little bit more size because if it's just Zubots, he's fine, but everybody else is kind of a wing on the team after him. They don't really have much more size other than him and Morris. So I'm I mean, on paper, this is a this is a good roster. I just I have a tough time trusting that Kawhi Leonard is going to be around a hundred games from now. That, that's I am an anti Clippers guy, Gino. Me this me too. This I, I, this I think I think they're going to start off, or I think I saw some of their first nine games, like eight of them, eight of their opponents didn't make the playoffs. So they're going to start They off play the Lakers game two. They'll beat up the Lakers in that second game, probably, because right now the Lakers are actually still dealing with some injuries, and they're going to try to figure things out. But they'll they'll crush them, probably, and look really good early on. And they're going to be healthy coming out of the gate here. So they're going to be at their peak right away. But... All right, John Wall, 32 years old. Kawhi, 31 years old. Paul George, 32 years old. Like, it's going to be some, and granted, these guys have the the bench to, like, soften the playing time for those guys. But that, but fine, do whatever you want now. But how is that going to become April, May, when it gets to the postseason? Where, where are these guys going to be at? How many of them are still going to be there? Like John Wall has played 40 games in the last three years, and now he's 32. He's so we're just supposed to snap our fingers and everything's going to be cool with him, and he's going to play 70 the, games and average 20 points and nine assists or 16 points and nine assists. That's just going to happen. I think the best way to sort of just to, to kind of simplify it do you trust this team more than you trust the Warriors, who are at a similar price and in some places? The Warriors, you can actually get a better price on them. I, I just, I trust the war. Could the Clippers, in a world where they completely stayed healthy all the way through, and if those guys all, right now, we put them in a time machine, they showed up for round one of the playoffs or round two of the playoffs, and they were all there? Sure, they would be good. They'd have a good chance. I, 
it just felt like with Brooklyn in some of the last couple of years when I couldn't have trusted it at that point until I see it. I I just I gotta kind of see it with them as the favorite, especially in the West. Like I just if if you were telling me they were, you know, ten to one to win it all and that they were like the fourth projected team in the West, I would say, okay, that probably makes sense. You know, they may have some injury issues, but they could have a really high ceiling. So maybe the value is there to make a bet on them. Now I feel like it's the opposite. It's like everybody just what you said they oh john wall 16 points a game you know he's just gonna play a full season oh Kawhi's back he's just gonna be that awesome two-way player he was a few years ago even at that point he was already starting to wear down a little bit defensively because he can't do it both ways anymore physically he just can't you can't play that type of defense and then go play the offense where he's you know he's got the ball in his hands quite a bit so i i mean are they gonna be good when they're out there yes but do I trust them to be like the team with the best record in the league or do I want to invest my season wide money in them with a likelihood if if we had injuries to all three of those guys would it be that shocking Kawhi Paul George and John Wall not at all <laughs> and we don't want that we're basketball yeah. fans I'd love to see them all playing I'd love to see the Clippers be awesome but I'm speaking as a Laker fan and the same could be said for LeBron and Anthony Davis and I guess the only the difference from them is that you know the Lakers don't have as deep of a team, but this you don't get any value playing the Clippers really anywhere. Like fifty three ish on their win total, and they're like the favorite in the West. I we're both a little cold on them, and I think it's like it's it's not that the roster isn't good. It's just it's really hard to depend on them, Dave. Gino, on the fly here, if I put the number at twenty seven and a half games that Paul George Wall and Leonard will play together, so the three of them. Would you go over or under? I would go under. Three of those guys, right? I'd go under. I'd say 25. Yeah, I'd say if there was 25 games those three guys played together, you'd probably feel good about it. And I I just don't. And And we've seen in the past when that's the when that's like the scenario, like right, like the Kyrie KD Harden, like, all right, like you've got these guys, but if they can't ever get on the court together, then really what are you doing? There's no chemistry. You don't get any flow. And then by the time you try to turn it on in the playoffs, you don't have it. And so you, you, the the basketball gods are out there, man. You got to earn it most times. It's very rare that you can just like flip a switch. It doesn't matter how good you are. It like you can be a team that gets thrown together, but you have to go through some growing pains, some bumps, and you got to sort of earn it. I saw this as a Laker fan. They played Anthony Davis and LeBron took the regular season seriously all through the and then the bubble and they won. And then the next year, they were quick turnaround. They tried to sit out a lot of games here and there. It's like if you don't take it seriously, you're you can't just go through the motions in basketball and sort of like yada 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 and simulate yourself into the finals. And that's I think too many people are doing what you said. Oh, hey, Clippers, we're just penciling them in. Can't do it. And they're going to be one of those teams, that they're, right? They're, they're, I think they're going to get off to a fast start, and people are, people are listening to this are going to go, "Ooh, Dave and Gino are stupid. They don't." Know told they're you about. they're nine and one right now, or they're okay, eight and well, two. Give, give us, give us till Christmas time or New Year's, and then we'll reassess and see how after, like, once we get past like mid-November, that's let's see where things are at between mid-November and like New Year's. We get to the Lakers, and yeah. who the hell knows. What to talk about with this team with uh, Russell Westbrook is sort of looming over them. They were going to try to bring him off the bench. Now he's a little bit hurt to start the season. They, on paper, I will say, their roster is like a 
billion times better than last year's on paper, even with Russ. Even with Russ, they have a couple guys that just make a little bit more sense. Patrick Beverly, who helped Minnesota last year, he's still a very, very capable NBA player. Schroeder, he's a little banged up to start, but he's fine off the bench. Austin Reeves was actually a, a really, really pleasant surprise last year. Um, Lonnie Walker, like those are just fine guys in your fifth through ninth roles that were better than last year. The key for them is, you know, Anthony Davis. He's always the key. This is a guy who was in line and in the conversations of top five players in the league and like unicorn because he can do everything on a basketball court. And unfortunately, his body doesn't always agree with him, you know, and I don't know if it's a toughness thing for him. Like I always hear him talk and I, I think he wants to always play and he every season he wants to start out and play as many games as possible. Last year he tried to bulk up, that didn't work and he's he's looked much better, much better. And maybe just getting some time off for both him and LeBron can help. I I, I like coming into this year more as a fan because there are very little expectations. Their win total is 44 and a half. They're only supposed to be like a 500-ish team or better and it's just so hard to make a real assessment on them because if they make a Russell Westbrook trade and they can go get Buddy Heald and Miles Turner or a Hayward and a Rozier or like, I don't know, Portland, maybe something happens and you get like a Jeremy Grant from them and, and someone else, like all of a sudden that roster could be very competitive again. But I just, you can't, I can't count on that or I can't for the same reason that I'm saying people just pencil the Clippers in. I can't just pencil the trade in. And then automatically say, oh yeah, this roster is great Like, I could see anything happening And the first few games, they play Golden State and the Clippers right off the bat Russ is hurt, Schroeder's hurt They have a new coach, so they have a new kind of scheme They could get blown out these first couple nights And then people will start saying it's going to look bad I don't think it's going to look, I don't think they're going to be an under 500 team I think they'll be maybe a little bit better than last year And I, the, the real important thing was that LeBron extended so I, I think LeBron must have talked with the the ownership and said, "Hey, look, we don't need to go and make this trade right now. Let's just wait. We don't panic. Let's wait till maybe trade deadline. I'll still be here for another year after, and then we can kind of put together a team. And if it's not this year, maybe we still have you know the end of this year and then next year. So I could see that kind of being the plan for the Lakers. I just yeah, this this seems an interesting team. <laughs> like the the Bronze, there, there there's little time left and I seem having too much pride to him just like sitting through another like bad season. I am it Anthony Davis's health is going to be where this, where this team comes down to LeBron LeBron will somehow he spends enough money on his money on his body. He'll say, and that's what's scary though, because it's like one of these years it's going to happen. And it's, it's already started to happen with him. Mm -hmm. You know, he never even used to get hurt. Like he didn't just he just didn't get hurt. Like he didn't miss games. He didn't even like twist ankles. It was like LeBron was just never hurt. Now the last couple of years he's gotten hurt sometimes, but you know, when you it's at the end of the year when it goes, sometimes it goes really quick, it goes really ugly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's got another championship run in him, but I kind of agree with you. I still think he's got a little bit left in the tank and a little motivation. It all comes down to AD. I mean, if he's out there playing well, and if, even if it's just those two guys and the other guys around them, they still should be able to win plenty of games. If Anthony Davis isn't, you know, the Anthony Davis that we saw when the Lakers won a title, then they're not. I mean, they're, they're 
it really leans on him, I think, way more than it does on LeBron because you sort of know what you're going to get from LeBron for the most part right now. Yep. Anthony Davis is the guy that can that can take you to another level on both sides of the court. Does he is he that type of person? Is he that type of player? Is he physically able to do that? Is he going to break down? All very valid, viable questions. I have no clue in hell what to think about my Lakers this year, Dave. And I would like to welcome you along with all of your Laker friends to the Patrick Beverly experience. Oh, yes. Cheer for him rather than against him. Exactly. Completely different thing where he came to Minnesota last year and I was when I when he was not on the wolves like, oh, hate this guy. What a dirty piece of crap. Push him, push him, get under his skin, get under his skin, Pat Bet. I know it's so when he was clowning the Lakers late on the season and Russell blocked now now that they're best friends over the summer and all the good things. And what Patrick Beverly like, he's gonna get these guys, he's gonna try to force them to play defense. And I saw a couple clips from preseason where Beverly's out there trying to control things on defense, and LeBron was playing preseason defense or even just LeBron defense now, and there wasn't much switching going on and it was a pretty slow and like, how's this actually going to go like Patrick Beverly is not going to hold back on LeBron no he he's going to he, treat LeBron like he's Lonnie Walker or Austin Reeves he's going to he's going to yell at him the same way of like why am I going to bust my ass if you ain't you ain't going to do that to yours like it's it'll, one it'll of be the, interesting to see how that plays out because right. it could go Beverly wants to win it could go one way or the other right like I think I think it's good like it was great for your young guys Mm-hmm. Having him around, right? And I think it'll be really good for like a lot of the Lakers on a day to day basis having a guy like Beverly because, like you said, he doesn't just let you go into places and get blown out. He no. doesn't let your team do that. He will like he's so annoying and such a like in such a pest that he's always on everyone. But like you said, is LeBron just gonna look at him sometimes and be like, "Shut up, man! Just stop!" You know, like just kind of roll his eyes. There was an interview in the preseason. When uh, it was just like on the Lakers network And they were talking to Pat Bev And they are just like get to know Pat Beverly a little bit They said Pat uh, what's your favorite LeBron highlight through the years <laughs> And it was like you know People were, that people that they were asking were talking about How like, LeBron's you know rundown Or this and that he said when I Blocked LeBron <laughs> last year It was so funny and they showed And it was like yeah when I brought they said, So your favorite LeBron highlight Was when you blocked him of course What else would it be then they talked to LeBron, and he was like, oh, Pat Bev needs He was help. laughing. He was like, oh, man, Pat Bev is doing this already? He's doing this already? It was – but, you know, if LeBron can – so far, they've seemed like – I think LeBron gets kind of crap, but he's a pretty good, like, chemistry guy. They Because, they, like you said, with him and with Pat and these guys, they want to win. They know the best way to win is, at the beginning at least, like in any relationship, try to embrace them, everybody. You know? I just don't know if they will win, though. Right? No, the over-under is 44 and a half. Yep. So that means for them to be over is 45, 37. Like, all right, what kind of health are these guys going to be at? Last year, they messed with health here and there, and it just it didn't go well, and they finished way under that. Like, all right, another year older. Like, how is this team going to be? I would say this is – I'm sorry, Gino, but I'm going to say under, and they're likely a playing candidate. Yeah, no, I, I actually do think they're probably a playing team. I do. Um. Because I think the West is going to be He does I think and the West is going to be tough The the real key for them is Don't get off to such a bad start To where The trade Like get off to a point where you're you're, Like a trade could maybe Get you you, Rejuvenate you a little bit You know get like maybe be the thing that 
that brings you over the top. If you're in the 500-ish range and you're close to that and then you can make a trade and bring in some new pieces, I think that's good. If you're 15 games under 500, it doesn't matter what happens at the trade deadline and that it was just a wasted year and then even next year you just you're not going to feel like like 2 years ago when, when the Lakers won it all and then the following year when they didn't win it all, they lost in a playoff series to Phoenix when they were up they were up in that series when Anthony Davis got hurt. So for all of the Laker fans and like the built-in excuses, that year the Lakers were close. The last year, the Lakers were not close. This team was not close. So it wasn't like one move puts them right back into championship contention. That's what's scary is that they need a few different things to happen this year. They need two of these bench guys that they're not expecting anything from to just be good. You know, Anthony Davis needs to be one of the best five players in the league. They need to be healthy, and Ham needs to be a good coach. Could those things all happen? Yes, but they kind of all have to happen. Otherwise, like you said, Dave, they're probably in uh, in the plan. As we move to the Memphis Grizzlies, John Morant, Jez, uh, Desmond Bain, Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr., who's hurt till about January, Stephen Adams, Brandon Clark, Conshar, Tyus Jones, Xavier Tillman, and Zaire Williams. This is another one of those teams that's really deep, and I could see them making a, a trade like Cleveland made to to get a Mitchell type because I just don't know like Morant and Bain, like Brooks is solid. You played this team with your T Wolves. Do they do they need like one more like another number two maybe there like to go alongside Jaw or just maybe make a three for one deal where they trade some of these. Like really solid end of the bench guys For just a, maybe one more Top level talent Because I think with Jaw they'll be good But they had a fantastic year last year Really good regular season They won a bunch of games without Jaw I don't know if they can Have a better year I'm not saying they're going to be bad But like that was a pretty good season for them All things considered with as many games as they won And, and how things kind of played out for them This team annoys me <laughs> yeah, I I bet right. Yeah, the, play, the playoff thing. Like we like. Oh, I was just annoying. Yeah, battle. You should have beat them. How many? You blew every game that every you should have. Every game you had like double digit leads that you blew. Yeah, that that stung. So that that like this team annoys me. But I, I like Desmond Bain's jump last year where he showed that he can be it. I, I agree. He was he was so impressive. I didn't know that 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 he was that good. Really, he was I thought unbelievable. He was and he was incredible. Incredible. Like, he was just a he, like a big wing that was an absolute marksman that could play defense and could do other things. Like he was, he was the probably the perfect like guard to have next to John Morant. Um, I do. I don't know Jaron Jackson. Right, he's going to be out. They said four to six months, which puts him anywhere from like early November to potentially January. So we'll see. I, I think it sounded like his recovery was going all right, but. I, I think, was, and I think they're going to be hard for them. Yeah, because he was like an all defensive first team last year. He took that big leap last year too. I, it's just hard because in the wet, like I felt like them and Dallas maybe were the teams that sort of got the good breaks last year that maybe capitalized on the down Lakers and the down Clippers and some of the teams that might have been a little bit down. They sort of jumped up, and I don't like I don't know if they have another step forward to take. I could see them being. Like a fourth place, but they, they were the number two seed. I mean, they were like right at the top of the standings all throughout the year. I don't know if they're going to be quite that good again in in a tougher West. I could see 
their win total is 49 or their win total was just over that with uh with 48 and a half actually. So, you know, it's not as if Vegas thinks they're going to be the best team in the West either. They're 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10th overall to win the NBA Finals. I think that probably is about accurate. I would say that I put them like maybe three or four teams in each in each conference above them. But you have a guy like Jaw, like if he takes the leap, that's what you need. You're banking on Jaw being a guy that he he keeps getting so much better that that's not built into projections and he wins games and series that he's not supposed to win. And like he took the leap last year, but he also he stayed healthy last year. And like when he was when he was out, they still they won a ton of games when he was out, which was right. I think they're nineteen and four when they Jaw were was unbelievable out. when he was out, which which is that's one but of those things. It's like Jackson was there, and they had Kyle Anderson. They had Melton mm-hmm. still on the team. They they had Melton was a huge. Were. Melton's a big loss too. I'm glad mm-hmm. you pointed him out because he was a ball. He could ball handle for them. He could play off a little bit. He can score a little bit. He plays defense. Like he's very helpful. Anderson slow mo is very helpful. Kind of being adult in the room. Yeah, I'm. I'm a little. I would go under on them this year. I, I don't. Like if you told me they were a play-in team or in that range, it wouldn't shock me if they were in like the six, seven, eight spot. I, I would not be all that surprised. I think they're probably like, I feel like they're right there with Dallas in the five-ish, like five-ish yep. through eight. Nope, I agree. But what a we we saw what what a fun basketball city and environment that that home oh, yeah. home stadium advantage is for them. Like that team, that city has embraced that team and that. And that team has embraced that city, which is it, it's they annoyed the piss out of me. But that was a really fun series, and it was really fun it, watching those teams battle. And, and Memphis is Memphis is going to do that with everybody. And it, it like it's weird. It's one of those things where you thinking about it now. It was so fun for you to be annoyed because as a fan, I was sitting here watching the other day, like USC get screwed in a game, and I was mad. But I was thinking afterwards, like. This was the first time in like five years that I've been so into a USC game. It's fun to be yep. involved in games where you care so much again, you know, to have a team that's playing in those situations. So while at the same time, I hate this Grizzlies team. It was like, I was fun to be able to hate them, you know, to even be emotionally invested like the that. Refs just call, I, wait, I just got a text. The tech, the refs just called another targeting penalty on USC. Oh, there was another roughing the passer call yep. right now. Oh, another one right now. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Another one. Oh, one more. One more. There's another flag. There were like six in a row on that one. Jeez. <laughs> Jesus. But uh, we moved to the Miami Heat, who were a Jimmy Butler shot away from the finals last year. I don't even know how, with all of the injuries they had, they were so banged up. That's just what worries me about this team again, is that I feel like they're a little bit older. Um, it's... They just like they have another really well run organization that always seems to overachieve. Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Butler, they bring in Jovich, uh, at Bam, Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Victor Oladipo, Max Struess will be a lot of their rotation there. And well, they they overachieved last year. I felt like maybe to be a number one. I don't. I wouldn't bank on them to win it all. And I am just I'm worried about their health come playoff time again because Lowry. Was banged up and Butler was banged up But man, Jimmy Butler Come playoff time That dude is on a short Alpha list There are not many in the league Two-way players, big games With all the pressure in the world Everybody knows you're taking the shot You've got the ball in your hands And he still has been able to produce 
multiple times we've seen it. We've seen him do it in Minnesota, in Philly. We took a Minnesota team to the playoffs. We saw him in Philly, and when he left, they could have won the title that year, and that bounce from Kawhi was the reason why they didn't make the conference finals. Then he went to Miami. He was taking it to the Lakers in the finals in a series where Miami was severely undermanned, and he did it again last year. This guy just continues to impress me. It's hard for him to go through a full year and do it, but in a playoff series when he's healthy, man, he is on that short list. And he worked hard over the summer. Like, look how, like, his hair now is crazy. Yeah. Like, he worked hard on his hair game. So he, he's got that going for him. <laughs> he did. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they, like, this Miami team, like, Spo just, however you think that team's going to be, they always somehow maximize what they have and overachieve. Like, the guys pop out out of nowhere. A couple of years ago, it was Duncan Robinson, and then it was Max Struess, like, Tyler Hero went from a late lottery pick to just securing the bag that he did. Like they all, they always overachieve, but I I'm very Lowry really slowed down last year. And that scared me. And yeah. Jimmy Duncan, Jimmy's not like, the youngest bam. I think bam's good, but he's very dependent on some other things. Like he, he's not, he hasn't really taken the leap that they've wanted. No. I, I didn't think, you know, there were a couple moments last year in the playoffs where it's like, okay, Bam, this needs to be a Bam game. And he he couldn't quite rise to the, the occasion there. And I was a little bit concerned with, you know, Duncan kind of got played off the floor in some spots in the playoffs last year. Oladipo, he's someone that, he's a nice, he's nice like icing on the cake, but not necessarily someone you want to trust or like need to produce. He's a great guy off the bench, but if you're depending on Oladipo for minutes and for scoring, I, you know, he's had so much injury history. So at 49 and a half, like I, I would, I would lean under with them in kind of that clumped East. Like I, I wouldn't be shocked if they were closer to the play in this year than the, the top of the East where they were last year. Yep. I agree. I think they're playing, I think they're playing team. And, but, but man, like the job Pat Riley has done, like that's a GM who goes out and gets Nikola Jokic. Oh wait, that's not Nikola Jokic. It's Nikola Jokic. <laughs> yeah, right. You look, there's one thought- letter difference. Joe, Joe, I know oh, we, we were all doing that. I was gonna say that's so funny. I did the same three times. I'm looking at the roster. I'm like, Yo, Jokic, what the what? And I'm looking at Denver and I'm looking both. I was like, Oh, okay, Jovan, there we go. But you're he, uh, if we find out that this is Jokic, it wouldn't surprise you with how nope. much of a genius Pat Riley is. He's in had, the movie. He had a good preseason, like right, like a European mm-hmm. coming over, but he came over and at least in the preseason played well and we'll we'll probably make him earn his minutes but i if he can play he'll earn his minutes well used kids such a good coach too we continue on i'm sure some of you may be able to hear the uh the gardeners have started outside for me it's all it's like a it's automatic when you're a podcaster dave or when you got to record videos it's like just as soon as you start you know that they're gonna come and they're gonna come and run in uh, thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out with us here as we continue previewing all of the NBA teams. We're up to the Milwaukee Bucks, who are actually your NBA favorites to win it all. This team and Giannis battled even without Middleton, and it, it just felt like they were just needing a little bit more than what they had to get by Boston. And if they're healthy with Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis— they had Brooke Lopez back. Pat Compton had a really nice year last year. Um, Bobby Portis is someone that they love. Now, they're getting a little bit older, some of their bench guys like George Hill. But I think a real a real key 
wild card for them. They brought in Joe Ingles. He has an ACL injury, but he should be able to return not long. And, you know, if he's someone come playoff time that you have and that's healthy, that could help them quite a bit more because they just felt like there was one spot, like Grayson Allen got cold in the playoffs and then he just couldn't hit anything. And they were, they couldn't find the other guy to put on the floor. It felt like there was always like four and then whoever the fifth guy was, was just such a weak spot. If they have an Ingles, like a healthy Ingles at the end of the year, that may help this team quite a bit. And I feel like Giannis is going to be a bit motivated. He's just sort of said some things that feel like he might come out like scorched earth this year. So this is a pretty safe team as far as, I mean, I think if they were healthy, they would have been in the finals last year. I think, yeah, with with Giannis, it seems like LeBron of like, Mm-hmm. 10 to five years ago where it's like, all right, if you have him, you're in the mix. Yep. One way or the other, how are the other guys going to do and how how can he pull them through whatever they need to be pulled through? But it, he, he's going to have his work cut out. Like, right, Middleton's going to have wrist surgery, right? Or he had wrist surgery, so he's going to be out for a while. It's going to take a little bit, yep. So how are these other pieces mean? Like, and- yeah, the Joe Ingles is 35 years old, and he's going to come back midseason. When do they and- care, like, do they care at all about where they're seated as long as it's not 7th or 8th? Probably not, right? Like, that's... Like, I... Because I just don't... They may still be good enough to be... Third or second or whatever But I don't know like you know Do we see a few more games here like Middleton He's coming back are they going to ramp him up Right away when he comes back from that injury Who knows maybe you give Drew a game Here or there you give Giannis a game here or there Off and you just make sure that you're Healthy I don't know if I'd want to play Their win total of over 52 And a half but if you told me This team at the playoffs Showed up healthy I'd probably have A hard time picking against them In the east to get mm-hmm. to the NBA Finals, and this seems like this seems like a team that could have use for like an Eric Gordon type. Oh yeah, yeah. They gave up so much to get Holiday. I don't. They think don't they have much no. in the cupboard to give That's up a, to get a guy like that. It's a great point. They don't really have a whole lot of room to maneuver if need be. Your favorite Milwaukee Bucks to win the NBA championship. We move from the overall favorite to Dave's favorite. The Minnesota Timberwolves We'll talk about the T-Wolves Who had a great year last year They took that big step forward They win the play-in They get in and they have a series that You know, it feels disappointing Because of the way you lost But honestly, if we would have said at Last year when we were previewing That the T-Wolves were going to win the play-in Get in, have a competitive series To the uh, the Grizzlies We would have taken it at the beginning of the year Oh yeah, I would I would have taken that That was... That was a hell of a year. That was a that was a fun ride going to the arena every night, thinking you're going to win that game. Not like, oh man, I hope we can compete tonight or not get our ass kicked. Like, no, we like we fought every night. It felt, and that was I think Patrick Beverly was a huge re not not a huge reason that, but he was a help motivating factor to get these guys teach them how to win. D'Angelo Russell took a crap a couple years ago because he he had mentioned we're still learning how to lose, but and it was a, yeah. kind of a weird comment. But it was actually right. Like, all right, learning how to lose and why did you lose that game and how do you not lose that way again? Learn from it. And we see the steps. And, like, I don't think anybody in Minnesota would have been overly disappointed had they just ran it back, right? Like, that's for for a team that's improving and you're just, all right, let's run it back. Well, then we brought in Tim Connolly from Denver and 
the new ownership group paid to, all right, we're going to, we're going to go hunting for a president of basketball operations. That's going to, that's going to give us complete legitimacy. And what does he do? All right, here's our chance to go get one of the top 30 NBA players, defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. And they gave up a haul for him. And it looked like a haul on paper and it is of picks and players. And it was like, man, look, that's, that's a lot. But then you start looking at it and all right, well, the draft picks probably won't matter for like three or four years. with Because your team is going to be pretty good. You'll feel like there'll be 20 and below, probably number Mm -hmm. 20 picks, not necessarily franchise changing guys. And then Connolly went out and got pieces that helped stabilize the bench and got him guys. Kyle Anderson was Kyle Anderson. Actually, I think was right before the trade. That's a a great ad. And then they got like, even guys like Bryn Forbes has been like a complete marksman to replace Beasley as their shooter off the bench. And I know like they got PJ Dozier, like they've got some other guys along with their own like youthful players on like re-signed Torian Prince. Like, Jalen Noel will probably get there a bigger is, role too. Going on here right I, now. I like this team. No, this team is good. There, and we'll have to see how, in a series against another good team, how it'll all fit with Gobert and Towns. Mm-hmm. I don't have any worry about the regular season though with them. Like I think they'll be fine because I think they'll be able to be really versatile if they want, with with the way they want to play. And you have D'Angelo. Ant Edwards, who's going to take that step forward, he took a AKA big step Kermit forward. Wilkes. Kermit Wilkes, who was just an he's, an he's got some acting chops now, man. He was fantastic um, on the uh, on the big screen. Jaden McDaniels, Cat, and what was nice for Cat is he had a few big games in the playoffs last year. I think he needed those. Right, he had had some bad moments in big games to where. We, you're starting to say like I don't know Is this guy you want one guy you want to invest All this much in is he he showed You he his style of play Can still have really big games when you need it And like every time he needed a big game in the Playoffs it felt like he had a bounce back game After a bad game so I I sort of Like what I saw from him there too and I, I like this team overall like I'm a Big J-Mac guy Jordan McLaughlin yeah. was a Really good USC Trojan you know And I, I don't think people realize he's a very Good backup point guard he's a very good backup point guard. He's like what what you would Chris like Finch, from the coach loves Jordan J Mac. He, he just doesn't because he just doesn't do a whole lot wrong for you, and he doesn't try to to do anything that's over his head. He's not going to go take a bunch of shots. He one of the problems that he may have sometimes is you have to tell him sometimes to shoot the ball because mm-hmm. he gets so unselfish. And um, like yeah, he, he got put in like D'Angelo struggled versus Memphis in that playoff series. Deep so. Give and take. D'Angelo was like one of the key factors in beating the Clippers in the playing game. Without D'Angelo Russell, the Wolves don't win that playing game. They had taken Cat away. Ant was all right, but struggled late. And D'Angelo carried that team to win the playing game. D'Angelo then struggled versus Memphis. And even Jordan McLaughlin in game like five and six was getting some crunch time minutes over D'Angelo. So that was that was a big thing there. I will say, last year I said, grab Anthony Edwards for your fantasy basketball because oh, yeah. he's going to start filling the stat line. I think he's there's another jump this year coming out of him. I'm saying he's either second or third team All-NBA. I agree. I, I think he's getting there. He's getting a lot of hype. And I think so, too. It looks to and be well-deserved. Like the key, he's, 
What what needs to happen for those awards is that it needs to kind of come off of a year where he had the year like he had last year, right? It's sort of like a progression thing. So for the first time, all these people saw him in the playoffs and went, wow. Or like in a few games at the end of the year and went, wow. So now people will be paying attention to him more at the beginning of the year when he does what he does. And I agree with you. I, 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 I think this might be one of the top three seeds in the West. I'm definitely over on their 48 and a half win total. And if you told me like this was the number one or two seed, I would not be surprised because I think this is a team that's going to take the regular season very seriously. I don't think I don't for our friends, you know, who are interested, though, you can play the Wolves and the Warriors to win their divisions and you get six to one wow. if you want to play that parlay. Wow. And the Wolves and the Cavs are a ten to one. Wow. Those are both great. And I, I really do like them. I just I think they will take. More games seriously than I mean, just look at some of the teams in front of them, the Lakers or like around them, the Lakers, the Clippers. They're going to care more night to night than both of those teams will. I think mm-hmm. the Timberwolves will. You look at the other teams around. Probably they'll care more night to night than the Warriors will because the Warriors may have some nights where they rest Steph, Draymond, Clay, let some of the young guys do more. I think we're going to see Ant motivated, Gobert wanting to prove a point, Towns. D'Angelo upset with the way things ended for them last year Finch is a good coach I honestly think this is going to be one of the best regular season teams in the West Then playoff time, we'll have to see how it all fits That's a different animal But as far as getting there, I think you're going to have a really good team this year, Dave I think you're going to have a lot of fun uh, hanging out with this with this squad Because on paper, they're good, they're deep You can play in different ways You know, yep. you don't if if it's a bad night for a, a Gobert night or a Towns night, you can go a little smaller if you have to with like one of the two of them. Ant can lead things for you. I I really I really like your squad this year. Nope. Should be good. Let's uh, continue along. We're in our our final stretch here as we head to the New Orleans Pelicans. And what's so tough about them is it just always comes down to to Zion. Their over under is forty five and a half. We saw him play a little in the preseason, then he missed one of the final games. Which you never like to hear But I mean this guy He hasn't played in an NBA game since May 4th 2021 It's just been a long time He he has like Just such freaky upside We just we don't really know physically What he can do night in night out Brandon Ingram took a big step Last year um, He was really good in the playoffs And CJ was He's like a nice steadying presence for them I, I like a lot of their pieces. They're just sort of in a tough West, and I don't know. I have a hard time figuring out where to stack them. I thought their win total is probably pretty accurate, like 45 and a half. I could see them being a little better than 500. I could see them being right around where the Lakers are and maybe like a little better than the Lakers. Like on paper, I like their roster, but if Zion gets hurt again, like you can't keep having guys that make so much money and that take up so much just not there. Like you're not going to be able to win that way. Um, I he I need to see him play 50, 60 games. I think before I can have a really like a really good feel for this team. I want to see him play that. Just I want to see him play just for the entertainment value alone with him. Zion, like I'm not a huge college basketball fan, but when he came when that year with Duke, I was all in on Zion. It was. I agree. I was watching it all over. He was a phenomenon. So now seeing him, right, we saw the pictures of him last year, and then he shows up to training camp, and it's like, whoa, like, Zion's neck came back, and he's he's got facial definition. And, like, Zion looks like he, that contract, he is in shape. Mm -hmm. He looks ready to play, which, 
right? That, that's going to make everything easier on his legs, his ankles, his explosivity. Like he, I, I'm expecting if he stays healthy, it, which is a big if, but if it is, and he's put himself into the shape that he needs to, like, I, I think this is a very dangerous team. CJ kind of looked like Portland was given away last year. Well, then he fits in well here. Herb Jones was Herb a Jones a rookie. Herb Jones is awesome defensively. 80 steals and 45 blocks. The only rookie in, fa- in franchise history. Big V, he's another nice one who just, he gives you a different look. Like Big V, Jonas Valanciunas, you can't have him in every matchup, but... He can go get his own bucket and score. He's not afraid to. He hits big shots. He has big games in the playoffs. Alvarado is a really good bench defender. Man, I loved seeing him picking Chris Paul. That was that was a blast last year. Trey Murphy, they like. Devontae Graham, they brought in. I like this team overall. I mean, just so much, so much of it comes down to Zion. Because Brandon Ingram showed you he can be a guy that gets you buckets in the playoffs. Like, in big moments... He gets to the corner of the free throw line And you can't really defend that shot Because he's so long He can just shoot over you every time mm-hmm. and yeah, He's, he's your, your poor man's Kevin Durant But mm-hmm. when he wants to get a shot He can get a shot Yeah, so this is a, a fun team in the West That could maybe I mean, if they were able to get out of the play-in I think they'd feel really good about it For them If they could get a series this year You know, like they did again last year But especially if they could finish like a top six team Mm-hmm. And not have to worry about the plan, and and that might be doable with with you know Zion staying as healthy as possible. Yeah, they're I think they're plus three fifty or something to win their division with with Dallas and Memphis, but it it's there. It's yeah. they've got they've got a chance, health reasons. But you granted they all, all every team's got health reasons, but Zion specifically, like all right, if he's healthy, mm-hmm. he's showing he can play at the NBA level at a at a stud capacity. So the Knicks. They had that great year two years ago where they really overachieved. And then last year, they took a big step backwards, major regression. They looked like they were going to go out and make a trade for Donovan Mitchell. Instead, they bring in Jalen Brunson because the Mitchell trade didn't work. Now, they didn't pay Brunson all that much. Like, the contract's not bad. And he was great in the playoffs, but sort of felt like, you you know, you're paying for, uh, you know, sort of like you, you, you missed the horse that was 25 to 1, and now you're betting them at 2 to 1 the next time. You know, kind of felt like that with Brunson. Like, I don't know, maybe you'll get the same production from him. But what's nice is that he's he should be a solid, steadying presence for them. And I think that's that's what they need on this team. Like, they just need a guy like a Brunson who kind of night in, night out will help steady them. Julius gets a little, Randall is just a little bit too hot, cold to be the guy who has the ball in his hands all the time. I think this, like, he's not going to be a star like Mitchell and maybe some of the Knicks fans will be a little disappointed, but like for their team, they they should be better than they were last year. But I, they got to figure out some of these young guys that you know R.J. Barrett, Quentin Grimes, quickly they seem to really like and top in. They need to to really produce. Uh, it's it's sort of like a hodgepodge group. They're over under at thirty eight and a half. I mean that probably feels accurate. Like I don't feel like they're a horrible team, but Going through all these teams that we've talked about, I don't know how many teams their roster is all that much better than. Mitchell Robinson was kind of a darling a, a few years ago, and he's sort of not been quite as buzzy the last couple of years. What do you think about the Knicks? I'm I'm okay on the Knicks. I, I Jalen Brunson seems like the a perfect Tibbs point guard. Mm-hmm. He He'll seems, love him. He seems like 
not he's not the athletic as Derek Rose, but he, he seems like he when he and Derek Rose are going to share the court together, it seems like they're the same player almost. Um, it, but it seems like yeah, they need to get Quentin Grimes in there over forty, and they probably need to get Toppin in, figure out some spot to get him in. Like, is Julius Randle the potential All NBA player that he was two years ago when he was in his contract year, or was last year when he was kind of more regular Julius Randle? Like, I, I don't know. I, the, the Knicks, there's going to be pressure on them there. And if they start slow, do they move on from Tibbs? Or what are they? What do they end up doing there? Because they're, they're not bad enough to pull the plug. So they're, they either have to go for it or they're just going to grind away. That's kind of what I think with them. But I, I, don't, think they're, they're, I don't think the bottom is going to fall out with a team like this. But with, with Brunson... Brunson, Brunson can win games. Look what he did with Dallas. He just he won games on his own, basically, and he's he's going to do that in the the bright lights of Madison Square Garden. They just feel like they're still like a move away or so. You know, like they don't have enough there. But he is a nice steadying presence. Very much agree for you. As uh, we continue on to OKC, Shea Gilgis, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, Baisley, Jeremiah Robinson, Earl. Williams, Trey Mann, Poku Bummer for them that Chet Their rookie who looked really good In some of the games that he's played He's going to be out for the whole year And I mean You just sort of wonder at what point Are they going to decide that they want to Take some of their picks and go All in because it's not Yet they have a lot of young guys But they have so many picks and they've Had so many of them like I worry That they're going to age Shea Gilgis Out of this rebuild you know, because how much longer can a guy like him say, oh, cool, I'll just sit around here and wait every year, never really care that we're any good. The, the team actually plays better than they should all the time. Like, mm-hmm. whenever, whatever they roster they throw out there, they, they always play pretty hard, but they have to kind of decide, are you going to wait one more year, and then you're going to go all in? At some point, they have to trade some of these picks to go get a couple veteran-proven players, or else... What are you just you just keep kind of pushing it down the road, right? They seem like a team that, yes, you're saying about the wasting the, the SGA contract, but they've they've waited this long. They've got one more. They've got one more year that they can they can go victor hunting. So like, I think they, this you're right. This this is like the one more a team that trades picks. It, it, say there's a say there's an NBA star that goes down this year through a season in, in injury. That they can go trade and go get some picks for, like hey, hey, we'll take him off your hands to put that person into the team next year, or something like that. Seems like that could be a move that they would make. Um, but yeah, I agree. Winning, they just winning, like Josh Giddy's a potential triple double every night. Lou, he's good, Dort. and I like Dort. Dort's a really yeah. good defender. You know, they have a couple pieces, but I like they got to make their decision. And I agree with you. It feels like okay, one more year. Maybe we go roll the dice for Victor, and if we don't, whoever we got, now let's let's bring a couple veterans in and let's see if we can progress. Because yep. otherwise, you're just you're playing the same game over and over again. As uh, we move from OKC and their 22 and a half win total to the Orlando Magic and their 27 and a half win total, I kind of like this team this year a little bit, Dave. I, I kind of think they have some fun pieces. You know, they brought they bring in Paolo Manchero. Franz Wagner had a really good year last year He averaged over 15 points per game And 4 rebounds per game 
uh, Suggs had a bad start I think he will be a lot better Wendell Carter Jr. actually did fine for them And then you have a couple other pieces like You know, Jonathan Isaac At some point should be coming back If he's healthy, that gives them a little bit of a boost Fultz, who's not the guy that we thought years ago But he's still a very serviceable guard off the bench or Someone that you could bring in as your 6th or 7th man Cole Anthony was fine You have a real veteran like Terrence Ross I don't if This and Detroit are two teams That if you told me one of them made the play in I would not be surprised Because I, th- I think for them Very similar to Detroit's roster They have enough young guys to where At the end of the year They may be trying to play still You know, they maybe they just got their guy Paolo And they have Suggs And they have Wagner and Isaac Now it's about developing these guys Letting them get some run And then maybe they can go out and get a veteran I think it's Detroit or them that is kind of maybe both of them, or maybe one of them is a surprising team that gets into the plan. Yep. One of, one of those two teams is going to be frisky. I mean, you can't lock in for sure on which one it is, but one of them is going to be frisky. Because like, their template is similar, right? Like you yeah. can, you can, they have a lot of these young guys to where if one of them gets off to a good start, then maybe they're the team that feels a little bit better about themselves and they're like, ah, you know what? Let's go for it. So I, they just are going to be a lot more fun to watch on a night to night basis. And, if they got up to 30, 35 wins, I, I really wouldn't be surprised. And and right there close to what it would take to be in the plan. Yep. I completely agree with you on something like that. Like they, they seem like they could be they could be a little bit sneaky and they've got guys that uh, yeah, Wendell Carter we mentioned earlier. I love him and Paulo is probably he's the favorite to win rookie of the year, and he's gonna get his chances to score with this team. We get to the Philadelphia 76ers. I think one of the years that we did it, we forgot Philly. I just went, we just like skipped right over them. It was my fault. I was going, Philly I forgot it. And you reminded me at the back end. In at the very we had to come end. right back at the very end and talk about them. Yeah. Won't forget Philly this year. Harden made the, uh, took the pay cut. And this roster just feels a lot better, deeper overall. So it's not like a Harden and Bead only roster. Tyrese Maxey took a big step forward this year He scored 17.5 points per game They brought in P.J. Tucker They brought in D'Anthony Melton They brought in Montrez Harrell So now all of a sudden Harden, Maxey, Tobias Harris P.J. Tucker, Embiid Your bench is Melton Daniel House Montrez Harrell, Niang And Tybal. They Everybody's roles just feel like they fit a lot better Like they should Everybody should be in a good spot to succeed, they don't need Harden to carry as much of a load when you maybe you get another year of development from Maxi and you have someone like Melton there also who can handle the ball a little bit too. I think they're going to be just a better built team now after the trade where they've been able to go out and get a couple pieces and, and do what Maury wants to do. I I love this Philly team as well. Them in Brooklyn, I think one of them or Brooklyn is going to represent the East. Out Completely of the agree. I think the teams that traded are both going to be way better after a because the trade they made last year, their rosters were still uneven. I mm-hmm. mean, Ben Simmons didn't play, and then when Harden came in, unfortunately, like Philly needed a Seth Curry and you know like some of the players that they gave up in the deal, so they were just they were like a little bit uneven. I think that. House and Melton and then Montrez If you need to go smaller in some spots Gives you like a different look I just think, and PJ Tucker who's a beast I I, I have no problem Betting this team to win Like if you want to play a team To win it all, they're plus 1300 right now So with that Gino, here we go back to the book I know State To beat Philly as that exact 65 to 1 Wow, 
Sign me up. Golden State ninety to one. I'm going right now, and I'm gonna put a few bucks on that one. Exactly. I, I think like James Harden gets like with Kyrie. James Harden also kind of takes some crap here and there, but James Harden opted out of that contract and went from forty-seven million down to thirty-two to save them fifteen million. He said, "All right, I'll do this, but what are we gonna do with that money?" So they went on. They got they got Hucker and Daniel House, and so like, all right, I'll I'll take money. I'll opt out and save us money, but as long as we go get players that help our cause. So they did and, that, and they got Melton, and and Harden showed up in shape. He said hundred pounds less or whatever his joke was, like so. He, Harden at least did and said the right things this year. Totally agree. And if you were ever going to take, and I can understand if anyone's a little gun shy wanting to back them, but he. Took less money. He feels like he's in better shape, and this is the best roster he's ever been on by far. Yep. So I think this is the best spot he's ever been in to succeed. And I still think he can have some big playoff games. It's just I do think there's something about getting in his head when he had to be the guy all the time. And I do think people still forget that like he did go toe to toe with the Warriors multiple times and was right there, almost beating one of the best teams of all time. So there's a little bit in there with him. And I like this roster overall. Let's do it. Warriors, give us Suns war or 76ers over the Warriors, like 90 to 1. Is that what you say? Yeah. I'm gonna go get some right now. I'm gonna go get me some of that as we move to the Phoenix Suns over under for them, 52 and a half. Phoenix, who was the best team in the league last year, coming off that finals loss the year before, but they got blown out by Dallas. And you wonder always if like something like that carries over. Now Booker, he continues to peak He's a stud Bridges, he's a stud Really nice wing player, he's great for them And they signed and they locked down DeAndre Ayton But you know Chris Paul's going to be getting older Every time he gets out there He was banged up at the end of last year He was banged up again at the end of two years ago Cameron Payne was someone Who they couldn't even play last year They bring in Bayumbo And Tory and Craig, uh, Tory Craig That should help them a little bit Cameron Johnson was also someone who was very good for them last year. Yeah, he was a sixth man. So I I mean, I don't think they're going to be bad and fall off a cliff or anything, but it felt like everything went really well for them through a lot of last year. And they were winning games even when Booker was hurt and when Chris Paul would be banged up. I just I don't I don't know if I want to trust them to be the number one seed again. I think I could see them being like in the four, five, six range, like right on the inside of the play-in. But some of these years, these veteran guys, like a Chris Paul or a LeBron, or one of these years, these guys might just have like there's a lot of minutes that they have played. I am I I think this team is going to be potentially in trouble this year, Gina. Uh, yeah. I, it, it just we and when you talk about good vibes, the team's having bad vibes. Like you mentioned, they signed DeAndre Ayton, but it but wasn't. They, they matched DeAndre. They didn't. Mm-hmm. They didn't Hey DeAndre, we're gonna give you the max. We never felt like they really wanted him. Want to keep you? It was just like we don't want to lose you for nothing, right? It wasn't like we love you. We want to really make you part of our future. It's like I guess we'll just hold on to you because it's better than losing you. And then you got Crowder wanting to get out of there. Like, like you think guys on like veteran or teams that hey, I'm a veteran, I want to win. So he's on a team that looks like it should be able to win, and he's trying to get out of there. Then you've got the Robert Sarver thing hanging over this team. You've got I don't know. Chris Paul's 37. He's played out of his mind. 
the last couple of years after it looked like he was potentially done in Houston. He's completely came back, but I don't, it just seems like there's some bad vibes on this team. I think the left, their bench is a struggle and we'll, we'll see like, yeah, Aiton had some comments like he works for Phoenix or something like that. Like it, it was yeah. a very odd. I know that if you were paying a guy 30 some million dollars a year, I don't know if that's the comment you want. No. And uh, we warm and fuzzy. No. So we're both a little down on the suns this year. We moved to the blazers over under 39 and a half. I, I kind of got some weird vibes about this team too, because I just, the stuff with Lilliard last year worried me a bit. Nurkic every year is someone that I mean if he's playing He's he's nice but he's just never around When they need him come playoff time I love Josh Hart I think he's a real And I love Jeremy Grant I think they're both Really nice pieces I actually think this Could be a team that would I, I wouldn't be shocked if like something happened and Dame Had another be- injury I could see Them being a team that was like Starting to lose a lot of games in the west And then make a trade of a couple of their players And maybe be a team Looking to match some young guys with Lillard for the future, but I don't like, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this team. And I'm kind of feeling some bad vibes about them too. Dave, talk to us about the Blazers. I, I agree. I think this is a team that when I saw their win total and I, I, my mind before seeing it was like seven or eight games lower than that. I just, last year they were in the all out, like everything went. Perfect example, right? The next team that we're going to talk about is the Kings who has 33 and a half. I thought they would be the same. They should be about the same as that. And I know they, they got Jeremy Grant. They got him a pretty good deal for getting him. And then they went out and got Gary Payton. But I don't know. Willard's 32. And it looked like he, he like, it started in, like, the Olympics I know. two years ago when he just he just didn't look right. Then last no. year, it, just, it didn't come around either. And it's kind of a small guy, too, that's had the ball in his hands that you sort of worry about. Maybe he's taking some bumps, you know. I. I have some bad vibes there and just the opposite of a team where if you told me with Sacramento, I know they've been a, a team for years and years and years that they haven't done anything, but I actually like a lot of their roster as far as being better than a 33 win team. They mm-hmm. might, I think they might be able to be a team that is fighting to try to get into the play at the bottom when some of the other teams maybe have given up. I could see them caring way more about the year than Portland. If if both of them have similar type records, you know, you bring in Keegan Murray, you made the trade for Sabonis, who I think is really solid. They brought in Kevin Herter and Malik Monk. Malik Monk had a really nice year for the Lakers last year as a shooter. So they have some shooting. They have a little bit of size. They have Fox there. Um, I I kind of like eight or nine deep this team uh, with like competent NBA players. I I mean I just prefer them to Portland, who we were just talking about. If I had to pick between two teams that are Going to be stacked kind of close to each other This might be a fun team to You know and, and a feisty team I watch a lot of them being out here on the west coast also Did you, did you mention Kevin Herter The trade yeah. for him and Ke- Yeah like that's Keegan nice He's like right going to be in the rookie of the year chase And he's it's he's not ready. Like Keegan Murray was a, like a 19 year old kid Coming over there he, like, he played a couple years of college and- He's a big dude he's got a big body He's got a ready He's ready right now He's like his game is ready right now He probably doesn't have as much upside as some of the other young guys But he can go out there right now and produce Yeah, I I, I think this team has Has some upside They've Like, they've, they've lost enough over the last Like 15 years, they're ready to start winning mm-hmm. And they're, they're Going to be one of those teams that are not bad enough To get into the lottery chase For, for one of those things Like, 
they they're going to try to win. They thought they were going to win last year, and they were winning, and then it kind of got sour late. But I, I think there's some pieces here. I think this team is this team's going to be a grind. They need De'Aaron Fox to. Perform. It's a big Fox year, right? This is a huge year for like how we feel about him and where we stack him up. You know, in the in the hierarchy of the NBA, he he needs to take another step and be a, like a leader of this team. Yeah, and like they they took Davion Mitchell pretty high up last year, and there was a lot of hope about him, and then that kind of slowly drifted away. But maybe he can bounce back, and if if Fox isn't going to be the guy, maybe Mitchell. Steps in and takes over at that level Last couple teams to discuss And a few of them are bad <laughs> A few of them are bad <laughs> This this next team This this might be the victor team and, and the reason why I think so Is because they have been such The Spurs have been such a good team With their international scouting And all the international players through the years That they've brought in That you feel like they may have been ahead of the game And like oh yeah this victor guy in a couple years Because this roster is bad this is a bad, bad roster for the Spurs. They'll probably win a few more games than they should because they're the Spurs. Their win total is 22 and a half. They Trey Jones, Devin Vassell, that Keldon Johnson is their best player. It's going to be Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell. Uh, Jacob Podol still there. Josh Primo, Zach Collins. He could be, if he's back healthy, he could be a nice piece that they just took a complete shot on, and that would be very spurs of them to get this guy back. But this this might be the worst roster, and I think they're they're trying to get Victor as their as their franchise guy as their next guy. <laughs> when Popovich's comment was like, "Yeah, I don't I don't think we're a team you should probably bet on to win the NBA championship." <laughs> like, <laughs> that says it. That like, says <laughs> that, that's that's looking at yourself in the mirror and even. That's that's probably even putting it kindly compared to what Pop really thinks about the roster that he has in front of him. But, I, I, yeah, this this team's got got some issues, Gino. Um, but yes, I I think they're on Team Victor. But like the crappy thing for them is with the new lottery format, right? Like it's not even like teams all have the same the same shot. I know. So you could have a whole miserable year, do everything you can, and you don't get him, and it's like. Oh damn! Now we're bad for the next couple of years still too with this group, and they yeah, just—they don't have the league, and they fall down to like fifth, and that's kind of like what happened to Oklahoma City for a few years during that rebuild. Where hey, we're going to be really terrible, and then they just wouldn't have any lottery luck until they finally got some. They got number two at Chet, but they have like no, like nothing proven. Yeah. You know, nothing proven as far as NBA talent is concerned. As we move to a fun team, like I always like this team. I just worry that maybe they're a little too small in some cases, but the Toronto Raptors are so fun and they're so switchy. And Scotty Barnes had a really good year. Man, if this guy takes one more step forward and you put Scotty Barnes with Pascal Siakam, OG Ananubi, Fred Van Fleet, Gary Trent Jr., everybody plays well. They have a bunch of wings. Precious Achua is really good. He can handle the ball uh, for a, a big man. Boucher is sort of their just like backup big. They actually brought in Otto Porter Jr. and Thaddeus Young, two guys who are like, what? You already have seven wings. How did you bring two more wings in? What the like? How do they have every wing in the NBA on this roster? <laughs> There's <laughs> ball, baby. I know. Like, and, and they're yeah, fun. Let's just get interchangeable parts that we can move in. If we lose a guy, we have another one ready to go. And no, it's this, this Toronto seems spicy. I mean, I expected more out of them in that playoff series. I agree. 
versus Philly, but they are also dealing with a couple of injuries there. And that, that really, right. Scotty Barnes was hurt and that he showed like, I, I thought he was, I was surprised he was drafted to where he was. And then he looked like he was potentially the rookie of the year as the season went along. Like they, they hit a home run with him when it looked like, oh, they should have probably taken Suggs. Nope. They, I think they did the right thing. Like they grabbed a guy who was NBA ready, who could play NBA playoff minutes at a starting yeah. level. Like, they, they nailed that. I, I feel like their over under is forty six and a half. Like I think they're probably right around playing in the East. You know, like right up. Maybe they could get to the the. Like I I probably like them a little bit more because they play hard and they're really well coached and they're kind of a weird matchup. I just as far as betting them to win the whole thing, I don't know if I could see them winning like three consecutive series against tough teams in a row, but. They're they're not going to be fun to play any night you play them. Like they're all they're plus Paul you know, Cruz, man. If he plays like that, you're right. I watched, on, I watched his documentary, and that guy can play. That Bo Cruz, man. Bo and Kermit, man. Yeah, they got they signed Bo. I yep. I like this team though. This will be a team I bet on a lot throughout the year, and I'll probably bet on in a series if they make the playoffs. Whoever they play, don't think our final two teams will be making the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talk about the Utah Jazz first. Man, this is a sale time. And Utah made the big trade for Donovan Mitchell. They made the big trade for Rudy Gobert. They sent both of them out. They bring in a lot of young pieces. But they still have Mike Connolly and Jordan Clarkson, probably Rudy Gay as pieces you think they still may trade at some point throughout the year. I picked Colin Sexton on my fantasy team because I just think he's going to be getting all the run here all the time. You know, I just, this is going to be a bad team this year. They have Walker Kessler. They have a lot of young pieces and they're going to try to tank. And we just, we're going to see the the new ownership. We're going to see them create their own team in the next year, year and a half or so. This is just a bad team that they're, they're playing for Victor. They're playing for Victor, but they lost, they've got like some, like, they're right in that level with like San Antonio and those guys from where they are projection wise, but their roster is just a lot better. You're than right. Those other teams like totally like, agree. Like, they have way more NBA veteran players that are just guy, that's a, that's a 25, proven. 30 minute NBA guy like Laurie Markinen, like Vanderbilt is Beasley. Good. Those are all guys that can play. Beasley's going to shoot 18 threes a game for them. Like mm-hmm. they've got your guy, right? Talon Horton Tucker, THT. THT. He'll have an opportunity to at least show if he's got anything there. So, yeah, they're – I mean, they're they're not trying to win, but you're absolutely right. They may accidentally just win more games than teams like the Rockets or the Spurs because they have more va- veteran talent on their team, guys that just know, can go in day in and day out and, and produce in the NBA. But it's going to be a different Utah Jazz team this year. They're not going to be towards the top of the division or probably battling for a playoff spot like we've seen them for a while. As we finish up, what's the chances that Mike Conley gets out of there? Is there a trade somehow? I keep thinking about it for the Lakers too, right? Like, I don't know if the if I don't know how much that would be great for the Lakers, but again, if you're at the end of the year, if it's trade deadline time and you haven't found anyone for Westbrook, and they're telling you we'll give you Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson. What about a feel good story? Is there is I don't know if they have the contract to send back. But is there a way to get him back to Memphis as like a bench backup? Oh, that would be re- that would be really cool. You're right. Like final like, playoff run. Yeah, to end the career. You know how they uh, they do the final like 
like he he retires so he could have the jersey, the Memphis yep. jersey. Also, I I yeah, like that. Come back there is like a ten minute game guard, like with Tyus and John, like filling in there. Like I I don't know if the, I don't know if they have the contract to send back to make it all equal with how contracts work, but that would that would be kind of a fun scenario for them or for him, I would think. Dave, you are the man. Uh, we always uh, go a couple hours on this. It's so much fun. Let's finish up talking about the Washington Wizards for our final team. Uh, Thirty-five and a half for their win total, and I mean they have a lot of players that could help other teams. I don't know what the sum of the parts will be if Porzingis was healthy and Beal was healthy for a year, and then you put them next to. Will Barton and Monte Morris And Kuzma is overall just a better player Than he was a few years ago He rebounds better, he plays defense, he can play make a little bit more They like Denny Agia Daniel Gafford, they drafted Rui A few years ago, they have the young guy Kispert There are NBA players On this team too, but Beal had a a Bad health year last year and kind of a down year And, And with the Zinger, it's just Like, it's hard to count on him Being your number two weapon and your number two option for a full season. I wouldn't be shocked if this team was healthy early in the year and played decent like they did last year. And then Porzingis got hurt and it kind of falls off, but they're not off. Like they have a lot of like sixth guys that you would want on your team, right? Guys that would be like a fine guy off the bench. I just don't know if it all comes together for them. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't think teams are gonna things are gonna come together for this team. Like this team was one that was last year, right? It was a complete. It seemed like they were in. Hey, Washington lost 145 to 135. Like mm-hmm. I think they found themselves in some track meets last year. Oh yeah, and, and I don't. I, I, I don't, just know. don't know how that's gonna. How, last... how much improvement that they have. Like I was a huge Denny of Gia fan when he was coming out. I I thought oh, maybe the Wolves will trade down and grab some pieces and end up end up grabbing him. Thankfully they took Anthony Edwards at number one and didn't listen to me. Like <laughs> it would have been a much different time. Would have been, I was gonna say we probably would have been talking about the uh the Go Bear trade and all that right now had that yeah, not probably, had that not happened. At that but, level. So that's yeah, why I'm I, the GM. Um I've been but a little disappointed be... with Beal too. I think the last couple of years, like I don't know if he took the next step. I don't really know if he can be your one, right? I think he he's probably best suited as like a number two somewhere to be the off scorer. Like I just don't know if he can be your number one on a really good team. And then Porzingis is your number two. I kind of like everybody else they have from like their fourth through tenth guys, but I don't know how their top top tiers slack up against. You got Porzingis and Beal against Kyrie and Durant or Giannis and Middleton. You know, like how do they how do they match up? I don't think they match up well. I it's no. like the like the Bradley Beal, like he just keeps getting his max contracts and doesn't really win. Like it's just it, he's gonna make a like he's gonna like at some point it seems like he needs to at least have a shot with a good team, but like his contract's gonna make that very tough to ever go on. Like he's gonna make a ton of money in the NBA to not Maybe ever like have anything to like show for it. Like it's good, good stats on bad teams all the time. For just, uh, oh, maybe this will be the like you need some pieces to go with them, but it's like all right, how long can you do that before you just kind of go like yeah, that's just maybe that's just not what it is. Like I I don't know I don't I don't think this Washington team's that good, and I think that's they're, they're potentially one of the teams that the East starts beating up on. I I I could see them being I could see something happening like if. If Beal maybe even is out for a couple weeks That they just throw in the towel And try for Victor 
was just there's a lot of it's there's it's so many teams that are like that that in, I know this last half of the NBA season is going to be very interesting on what people's what what are what are their priorities what are they doing are they are they are they on team winning or are they on team yeah that's that's this loss doesn't kill us Dave man this is this is honestly one of my most fun conversations everywhere every year talking with you because there's so few people who I could sit down with and talk about every single team every roster have some fun going through all of them so this is what we're looking for if it's not the Wolves versus the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals yep. to get to the final that's what we want number 1 Wolves Lakers you and I get to root for our teams to try to go if it's not let's take the 76ers over the Warriors in the NBA Finals how about that we can do that. We're good. we're all right with that. That's fun. Yeah. So we'll we'll aim for a, a Wolves Lakers Western Conference Finals. That would be fun for us. And uh, if not, we both are very high on the possibility of Philly having a good year, Brooklyn having a good year, uh, the Warriors also having a good year. I like Denver a little bit more. And then teams toward the bottom that we think could be a little bit feisty and fun. Uh, Detroit could be fun, and Orlando could be fun. Even Sacramento on the uh, on the other side. Could maybe um, overachieve and, and win a few more games than they're supposed to I know we both have to run, Dave Thank you so much You are busy NBA season starts tomorrow I'll have to, uh, maybe around All-Star break We can check in and see how everything's going And do a, a second half preview But I can't thank you enough for all of your time This is such a, a pleasure to do, uh, to check in with you every year I think this is our fourth one that we've done now I believe so, yeah And if and if we're right on this Golden State Philly stuff uh, Gino and I will post our Venmo accounts And Oh yes, if it, send it if that's on If said, listeners have cash tickets for thousands and lifestyle We will changes, take any tips Remember to send tip your them, dealers Tip your dealers, send them our way, please Dave, thank you buddy, you have a fantastic rest of your Monday And I look forward to talking to you real soon Good luck to the Wolves Alright, sounds good Gino, thank you Good luck Make everybody, sure they- good luck to your Lakers Thank you. Make sure to give Dave a follow at Superstats Dave. He does a great job. Dave was also one of the on-track handicappers at Canterbury this year. He was selling the tip sheets over there. Did a great job there. You'll see him posting stuff about uh, NBA on Twitter all the time and other fun stuff. Dave, thanks for being such a good friend the last couple years and for all the help you've given us, man. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much, everyone. Good luck. Good luck to Dave and good luck to all of you out there, folks. But don't go anywhere. Still have a lot more to discuss on this episode. So you want to set the mood, you're looking for something all natural, soy wax, non-toxic baby, scents for every season, now don't be afraid baby, just spell it out. Z-E-R-A-N-O-S.com And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off, mmm, mmm. Holiday season, now is the time. Load up on candles for all different holidays, for all of your different friends and family members, gifts that you need. You have to check out sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Make sure to check them out and uh, check out the promo code G-I-N-O. It'll give you 10% off, sarahcandles.com. Sarah Candles and Cindy Carava have been with us from the very beginning. Full service realtor, Cindy Carava. If you need any help in the world of real estate, buying, selling, leasing, Cindy Carava will help you. Check out the website, C I N D Y C A R 
AVA.com. Now, she can connect you to vendors if you just need help with home improvement, gardeners, landscapers, painters, all sorts of great folks that she's worked with and used in her own homes. And maybe you need help with a home loan. She'll connect you with the right type of lenders that will help expedite that process and make it a little bit easier for you. Cindy is kind and genuine. She is one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my entire life. She truly wants to help you. She just wants to make your life easier. Check out the website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. The old wrestling rewatch heads to SummerSlam 2019. What's funny about this one is it just a few years ago, but a lot of things have changed in just the uh, the three plus years or so. Andrew Champagne joins me for the match by match analysis. We get into everything that happened. SummerSlam 2019. Seth Rollins, Brock Lesnar, The Fiend debuts. Kofi, Randy Orton, Kevin Owens, Shane McMahon, Charlotte versus Trish. Bailey, Ember Moon, Goldberg, Ziggler, Becky Lynch, Natalia, AJ, and Ricochet. It's time to talk SummerSlam 2019 with Andrew Champagne. Oh, yeah. Oh, wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> this week, the old wrestling rewatch heads back. To 2019, so we're not going too far back in time, but a lot has changed in just a couple of years when we head back to the WWE in 2019, and now it's sort of interesting as we discuss things in the current time as the landscape has really shifted with Triple H taking over and creative in charge of creative control. So now some things that might have seemed maybe a little sad or disappointing kind of thinking away that, that, that this show ends there may be a little hope here now andrew as we kind of look back on this show it's it's just sort of fascinating this one that you picked with everything that's been going on over the last couple weeks and months with wwe how you doing and uh nice selection here a couple things too fun show because there's a lot of little stuff to talk about but in a total vacuum if we're just talking about quality from the pre uh from the Matches that are on the main body of the show Really, really good Very few downers on the entire show Yeah, this was a show Where the things that were Supposed to deliver, delivered Of these matches, I've got Three of them clocking in at four stars Or higher, and only one Of them clocking in below two And one of those, and that's just mainly Because, and we'll talk about this There was one particular match on the show That just wasn't for me in any number of ways. As far as match quality goes, this is a really good show. As far as what it meant, not so much. As far as what it should have meant, however, there's a lot of things that should have happened based off of this show that did not happen for a variety of reasons. Now, the timing of this show is a little bit weird. AEW had just launched a couple of months prior to this. So whether or not that motivated people or not, who's to say? But this was also not long before the big TV deal that brought SmackDown to Fox for $11 billion. And that wound up changing a lot of things just a few months after this show. And as a result, my goodness, Moment of silence for Seth Rollins' credibility as a babyface. My God, are we going to have fun talking about that? 
I yeah, I'm, again, I, I like this show. It's really entertaining. The, there are, as far as match quality is concerned, some of the things that stick out. There are two, I think four and a half star matches of oh, four plus star matches quality in here. And then a third that if you want to say it's, you know, three and a half plus and getting close to four, I don't mind based on your particular interest. And they really did a great job here with Goldberg. You know, we always joke about Goldberg and, you know, you always come with the run in uh, in our group chats all the time. Oh, and, and we're going to have so much fun with this, especially if you notice the Easter egg that I noticed. And this is just the way that you use someone like Goldberg. It's a perfect use of him. And and the use of Dolph is someone that's perfect because it's not burying Dolph at all. In fact, Dolph, you come out of this and it's just, he, he did a great job comedically, you know, he did a perfect job. And so I thought they did a really solid job from top to bottom. The one thing that is a major negative that stuck, that sticks out is you can't have a match like a Kofi Randy and in a double count out that goes 16 and a half. I know it was the start of something and they had a couple other matches that were good, but it, on a show like SummerSlam to have one of your big matches go 16 plus and then end in a double count out. It just leaves a bad taste in, in have a finish. Whatever the finish is, is fine. Just have one. Now, one note on Goldberg and Ziggler. Isn't this exactly what Goldberg Jericho should have been 21 years prior? Like to the letter. Absolutely. 100%. Like the Miz should have been in this role in some, at some point, if he hasn't, you know, there's a few guys that you just see automatically are perfect for this role. And Santino Morello would have been amazing. Yeah. It just, you get Goldberg out because at this point of his career, three years ago, now the only thing that people really want to see with someone like Goldberg or one of their old favorite veteran stars is they want to hear the music. They want to get a look at them. They want to see them hit one or two of their big moves. And that's it. I mean, that's all you need. You don't need these people in the title picture. And I loved the use of Goldberg. This is honestly one of my favorite uses of him since they brought him back because it was just fun. It was easy. He's in there. It's a two-minute squash match, but his whole segment is about I don't know, eight minutes, maybe 10 minutes max. But it's funny. And it was, I thought, great use of him. Yeah, that's for sure. Goldberg in small doses is fantastic. Going back 20 years, Hulk Hogan in the 2000s in small doses as the hot tag guy for Edge and for Shawn Michaels. Fantastic. Get in, get out. We don't get tired of seeing them. Wonderful. But then you wind up with stuff like, hey, let's give Goldberg the title in Saudi Arabia. And oh, my God. Okay. So lots of positives. We'll have some, you know, critiques to discuss. Along the way, let's jump on into it. We have SummerSlam 2019. Now, we're just going to talk mostly about the main show, but at least worth mentioning, they had three pre-show matches. They sort of tweaked the format of this, Andrew. This is when they were still trying to figure things out. Now they don't even, on their last show, which was Clash at the Castle, they had a pre-show match. But in a lot of their more recent pay-per-views, They've had a lot less matches. They, I don't know if this is a, a format they're going to use moving forward, but it does seem a lot more takeover-like where there were a little fewer matches and giving everything a little bit more time. 
And they didn't even really have stuff on the pre-show like this where they were trying to jam in three extra matches. Oh, gee, I wonder if that has to do with the guy in charge. <laughs> hmm. And uh, he's someone who does a good, he's, you know, he's always wanted a long match himself. So that's a critique that people have had, but that's also a positive because he does want a story to be told whether or not sometimes it goes on too long. In the long run, I do think we're in good hands right now with Triple H. Let's head back to 2019, the main pa- the main show after the uh, the pre-show and the kickoff show. And we have a really good video package. Again, these are so well done. Just so like professionally well done. Little clips to preview everything on the card with music in the background. Couple minutes giving you little flashes of all the big matches coming up on the show. Big Pyro. And our show is in Toronto. We have Michael Cole, Corey Graves, and Renee Young on the announced team. Quick now, note, quick note. Yes, Went sir. to Toronto for the first time a couple of months oh, ago. Oh, yeah, you did. Highly recommend that city. Cannot recommend that city enough. Also, if you're a horse racing fan out there, go to Woodbine. You owe it to yourself if you're there. It's a fantastic venue. Everybody says that, too, that how good it is. The people like, at Woodbine people... are so nice. They work their butts off. And I got to tell you, it, it, we're recording this the Tuesday after the Woodbine Mile program, which was unfortunately stopped a race early because of a uh, medical episode at the gate involving one of the veterinarians on site. Very, very happy that that was uh, better than initially thought. So, Andrew, and the crowd is pumped as you know you'd expect, but let's talk for a second about Renee because I love Renee overall. I don't who doesn't. Everybody loves Renee. She's fantastic. She's funny. She has a, a great sense of humor. She's very smart. She's eloquent. She never felt comfortable doing this, and she's no. talked about it many times. And you can just tell because this. You you lose all of the good parts of Renee when you put her in this role. She just felt completely out of place. In fact, there would be times for long periods of time where she didn't say anything. It was almost like, hey, I'm going to sit out this match kind of a thing. Or she didn't have much to add. She felt weird kind of stepping on Corey's toes. with. So she just is so fun and brings out something as a backstage interviewer or as someone in like a podcast format that just doesn't come out when she's doing the, the, you know, she would be what the, the color here, right? Co-color, I guess. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. Square peg meet round hole. And it didn't get any easier when this guy that looks mildly familiar, um, you've, you've, you've heard of this guy, that, that Ambrose fellow, we know him from somewhere. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it got weird when she had to call his matches yeah. and do so like with the wink, wink, nudge, nudge that those, you know, two were, were married. Like it just, it didn't work. And I understand why people wanted it to work because if it had worked, you would have had one of the first three person commentary boots that had worked in the history of professional wrestling, but it didn't work. Her element is in longer form storytelling. It's not in the moment. Boom, 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 boom. Not like little get, tidbits. You, you know, that's not what she, she's not soundbite. good at. Yeah. You get none of what she's good at in the role that she was in at that point. It made sense to try her out in that role. 
I wanted it to work. Me too. It didn't work. If you want to hear stuff that does work, listen to the oral sessions podcast that she does. They're very, very good. Yeah. She's fantastic, but out of place here. And uh, just to remind you one more time, the pre-show matches, Drew Gulak beat Oni Lorcan, Buddy Murphy beat Apollo Crews by disqualification, which was bizarre because that was part of the Eric Rowan, uh, Roman Reigns storyline. We're going to have some fun talking about that storyline later. In which you can actually look up following this pay-per-view very, like, I believe right after it. Rowan has a win listed over Roman Reigns by pinfall, which is just hilarious. But we'll talk a little more about that uh, later. Right now, we get set up for the Raw Women's Title Submission Match. That's our opening match. So obviously here in Canada, Natty is getting a big response. So Becky really leans into the heelish here, heelish side and the heelish tactics. And these two ladies have a really nice match to kick off the show. They go at it intensely throughout. It's a nice pace. Kind of a bizarre Mike Rome has the white hair. That kind of Yeah, like, that never that never feels natural. And I you, know. you you're look at the start of the show and you're going, that's Mike Rome, isn't it? Huh? And then all of a sudden at the main event when he's doing the ring announcing for Rollins and Lesnar, you're looking going, whose idea was that? I know. I know. We got to look at so many different announced teams along the night throughout the night too, Spanish and German early. And then they introduced us to a bunch more. I'll mention uh, when we get there complete with our truth and Drake Maverick doing 24 seven stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Carmelo was in there. And that was actually funny because that was when Renee said to Corey, Hey, your girl looks pretty good over there. Huh? And Graves was just like, uh, like he didn't know how to respond. So she kind of definitely caught him with a little zinger, which I thought was good. Now. Great start. I mean, these are two of the best female workers. Like if you're just talking about from a technical standpoint, even having nothing to do with the fact that Becky is very over here, these two, you could go put them in the match anywhere on any show, any level, and they would have one of the better matches on the show. They're just that type of workers, you know, really, really good. And you... Here, you know, you, you get an overhead suplex early on from Becky. Renee's talking about the bars that she was at and all the people who were talking about SummerSlam. And Corey mentions that she's becoming uh, drunk. And uh, Natty, you know, they, they're working for submissions. And this is something that I don't think a lot of women might be able to do. Honestly, submission matches are tough for most people in general to do. There have to be a couple wrestlers who have a lot of subs, a lot of counters to those and can make them look good, diff, uh, look painful, but not, you know, the slow rest hold type stuff. And these ladies did a really good job here. We got Becky with a big leg submission, kind of wrenching back on the legs. Remember, there are no rope breaks here because it's a, a submission match. So uh, Natty snap suplex. And when she hit that suplex, Becky's legs, the her bottom legs hit the ropes. Natty, Hard kicks to the ribs. Becky with some uppercuts. Natty uh, locks on the sharpshooter while she's on the middle turnbuckle. I thought that was a cool spot. It actually looked pretty good. That sharpshooter on the turnbuckle looked better than the Rock's normal sharpshooter. Sharpshooter on the turnbuckle. Greater than sign ring post figure four. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, so Becky was able to 
break free And Becky Tosses Natty Into the announce table Then she tosses her into the steel steps At ringside And Natty hits a superplex Little back and forth here uh, Big drop uh, She goes for a drop kick but Becky blocks that And then Becky locks in the sharpshooter The crowd was really starting to get into the match here Didn't look fantastic But um, Natty was Moving and crawling And she was able to uh, knock Becky's head Back into the turnbuckle Becky goes for a kick But Natty was able to slap on the disarmor And it, You know they did take turns here With each other's submission moves um, Natty Then locks in The sharpshooter and it looked like she was going to have her This time she was right in the middle of the ring Becky was screaming it felt like maybe They're going to give Natty the hometown win Fans are really thinking that Becky Was about to tap here But she crawled to the side Of the ring remember she can't grab the ropes She crawled outside Of the ring and pulled herself Down Natty tried to Pull her back in for another sharpshooter But Becky was able to counter For the disarmor Natty Was in it for probably 40, 45 seconds or so But she tapped out And a really nice start to the show, Andrew They went about 12 and a half minutes here Becky picks up the win The crowd was still very positive for Natty Even after the match here And I would say this is a you know Three and a half star plus match A good way to kick off the card Yeah, I've got it at four And here's sure. why There's not a lot of this that's overly smooth But you hit on something earlier that matters It's physical and everything looks like it hurts. That's an issue with a lot of wrestlers in general. When you look at a women's match, yes, they've come a long way. There are very few women in American wrestling that I would qualify as, I would say, stiff without being unsafe. This was stiff. Those two clearly enjoyed being out there and being able to have the feel of, okay, this isn't a wrestling match. This is a fight. And I loved that. And Me you can too. tell they really leaned into it. I'll make a make a pretty bold statement here. If Natalia comes around in the mid-2010s, as opposed to the late, I don't know, we, we call it the aughts, 2008, 2009, is when she came into WWE. If she comes in in the mid-2010s. So like five years later, are we saying? like Or seven years later, maybe? 2015 yes. Either instead. way. We remember her so much differently and we give her a lot more credit because she came in after having a series of matches on the independent circuit that tore the house down. She was a fantastic worker and then WWE hired her and she didn't get to work until there was a renewed focus on women's wrestling and they started developing people like Charlotte, like Becky. Like Paige, like Sasha, like Bailey. And that was after some pretty awful booking of yeah. Natalia for and a some very, character very, stuff very that was really time. poor. Like farting, they were always, you know, farting. They would always strap like losery gimmicks on her too. It's like, for this no is a reason. This is a badass female wrestler. Like yes. she's a, an absolute badass here. And I know it, it she, it was like you said, it was partial timing and and I'm not gonna give WWE Lenny Leeway here, right? They deserve plenty of the the blame. But they it wasn't a time when they were having anyone else out there wrestling more than five minute matches. So it wasn't like, oh, they're not 
using Natty in this spot. They weren't using anybody in that right. spot in that particular way. She did some good stuff with Beth Phoenix here and there, which was, you know, okay. Beth was Beth was very good, but she still just, is. It wasn't a division like it is now where I mean, you look through this division top to bottom, how deep it is. That that is the one comparison that you just can't make with any other a pro wrestling roster. The depth that WWE has on the women's side on Raw and SmackDown is just not comparable to anyone else. Probably the honestly, if you took all of the women that are non WWE and it was like WWE versus the world, it would be fun. You'd get some great uh, women from Japan, but for the most part, you get a few from TNA, probably a couple from AEW here and there, and a few on the independents. And but for the most part, I will say WWE has a lot of the really, really talented top tier women on their roster. I mean, take a look at it this way. Current day Mandy Rose, 10 years ago, would have been far and away the biggest star in their women's division. It would not have been close. She would have been, you know, she would have gotten the Sable push. Her wrestling and her her floor of wrestling, too, what she does in the ring, would have been totally acceptable and thought of as very good at that point. It's not as And I'm not knocking Mandy Rose, by the way. I'm just saying... You know, she is where she is and she's a great fit there, but she's not main eventing Raw or SmackDown or main eventing WrestleMania. And now you look at the women WWE has and the women they're developing for the future. NXT has a couple of really strong prospects down there. It's it's inspiring. And there are many things you can say about the way they handled what they called the women's revolution, trying to give Stephanie McMahon all of the credit for it. Come on. But at any rate, it's come a long, long way. And if you haven't seen this match or you've only seen it once or twice, go back and watch this because this is really, really good stuff. I had it at four stars. It's a really good opener. And you get these two in an environment that they clearly relish in front of a hot crowd. It's really good stuff. And Becky celebrating, kind of limping, and Natty selling. They both did a good job, you know, selling their injuries and nice way to open the show. And then, I mean, just think about you open the show with these two and then you go right to Trish, you know, like just the talent that they have someone like Trish, who's not even a full-time member of the roster. And she was here obviously for a, like a showcase match, but I love that in this promo, she was really leaning into the Canadian accent, Andrew. A little you know? bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, she was really, sure, leaning yeah. into it. it was yeah, a fine, it, it was a fine promo. It was pretty, you know, solid baby face stuff. Uh, Kayla asked her about the pressure having to face someone like Charlotte. And she said she was nervous and excited and that Trish has always strived on the pressure. The hardest part has been waiting for the match to begin. And she said she was one of the pioneers that paved the way. She's here to remind Charlotte Flair uh, that Charlotte couldn't walk a mile in her boots. She said if Flair is the queen, then she is the queen of queens. Pretty solid. It's good stuff. Yeah, and look, Trish could always cut a promo. It was never going to be, you know, the type that brings the house down. But you knew what you were getting. That's why they brought Trish back. And if you had any doubts about whether or not she could hang with current women's wrestlers, just wait. We're going to have a lot of fun with that match. Up next, we had a video package for Goldberg, Dolph Ziggler. And first up, Ziggler comes out. He's in the jean jacket here. He cuts up a little promo first up. He talks about how the legends come back and... You know, it's all about DZ, though, because he is stealing the show. Well, really quick, my thing is he made the promo about DZ 
the visual presentation was all about KD, one Kevin Dunn. Pro <laughs> tip, constant camera cuts when someone is pacing around a ring, not desirable. DZ, uh, he was in great form here. He really was was good. And uh, he knew he just had it tonight. It was just about going to be about 10 minutes for him. Top to bottom. Not too bad. So I'm just going to flop around like a fish all that I can. The Goldberg's music hits. And we see Goldberg with the entrance from the, the back. So I need to butt room. in one more time. And then please I promise. Do. I've done no, go ahead. That's Please Did do. Did you see the guy in the front row cosplaying as Bret Hart? Oh, my. I missed it. So he's cosplaying as Brett and he's screaming at Goldberg and knowing the things Brett has said about one Bill Goldberg and the way Brett's in-ring career with WCW ended, you sort of get the gist of what the guy was saying. And as it turns out after the match, the first time when Goldberg leaves, he high fives a couple of people then makes it a point to keep his distance from the Brett guy before going back <laughs> to the fans so and high-fiving the rest on the way oh, up the that ramp. Is great. When we're done here, go back and I will. watch that. Once you see it once, you can't unsee it. And it's that just is... a fantastic bit of business. I'm glad you pointed that out. <laughs> Thank you. That is so great. Um, so the Goldberg typical entrance, fans love it. Goldberg comes in, big pop. They're chanting Goldberg. He gets in the ring, little stare down between him and Ziggler. And then Ziggler hits a super kick, kind of stuns Goldberg. And he gets down for the pin, and it's just a one. Ziggler comes back with another super kick real quick. And Goldberg again is a little stunned. Ziggler pins him, but it's just a one count. Goldberg kind of backs up, tries to center himself a little bit. And Ziggler's coming at him again. And he just takes a few step forward and absolutely spears him out of his boots. This was, I mean, Ziggler, the couple spears that he hit here, these have to be in line with some of the absolute best that anyone has ever sold these spears. He looks like he was broken in half, bent, like his body collapsed at the torso part where the spear hits from his head to his toe. It's almost like he folds like an accordion. And then he flops. It is just amazing, Andrew. And uh, we get the big Goldberg chance. And he picks up Dolph, hits the jackhammer. This thing didn't even go two minutes. It could have gone 20 seconds. But it it was completely perfect at the, at the match part of it. And awesome job by Ziggy selling those things. Yeah, this was pretty darn cool. Like... This was pro wrestling's version of the Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Elmer Fudd, Wabbit season, Duck season cartoon. Yep. Where the family Duck guy gets... with the chicken, with Peter yeah. and the chicken, you know, and the rooster. Way, yeah, yeah, someone always just gets pulverized right at the end of it. Like, yeah, it, Peter Griffin and the chicken. Uh, there was a, a, a Simpsons reference. I think it was Sideshow Bob and the Rake. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, this was really good stuff. And if you thought it was over at the bell, it was not. So <laughs> Goldberg, you know, celebrates for a moment, looks at the crowd and crowd loves it. Goldberg walks up the ramp, waving by then Sigler. He's on the floor. He can't even get up. And he grabs a microphone. He says, that was like getting hit by a baby. I think he calls him a 
he says something that gets bleeped. He said, he says yeah, something Peacock did bleep that. Yes. 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 And, um, Dolph is talking trash. Get back in here. Come on. Anybody can get lucky. You know, come on. Hit me like a man. Come on. You can't face me again. Goldberg walks down, hits another spear, and then he walks to the back. Ziggler grabs the mic again. And he says, anybody can get lucky twice. And Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> this was just great. And uh, <laughs> Ziggy, uh, Ziggy said, you can't come back in and face me again. Goldberg's just laughing. And, and Ziggler says, you know, I'm the best thing going today. And Goldberg's really playing it well. He's just laughing like, what the hell is this guy doing? And he walks back down and he knocks the microphone away from him and he helps him up. Well, you know, he kind of like stands him up. He stands he him up and he dusts him off. off. He dusts him off. He shows off his shoulders and he kind of pats him on the back like, okay, buddy, you're like, you're like a little child that I'm not even going to. And then when he turns, he just nails him again with another spear. Just crushes him in half and it was so funny the the pick him up dust him off and then turn around and just level him one more time this just makes it made me laugh talking about it with you again right now it it doesn't get old either like this is one of those things where you're like okay yeah match was funny oh he came back again oh that's good oh my god he's coming back again <laughs> it's just it, it, it's cool stuff and we hit on it already. This was the best possible use of Goldberg. You get a guy in with him that can bump. And if there's one thing we know Dolph Ziggler can do, it's bump. And you don't see a lot of Goldberg. You see the highlights. You leave the crowd, you know, in a position where they're happy. If there's one criticism of this, it's that the crowd was sort of burnt out the next couple of matches because of this. But at that point, you're picking nits. And if we're saying the crowd got burnt out, it's because this worked and it worked really, really well. Well done, Ziggler. Well done there. We then got a commercial for Clash of Champions. Then they actually had a, a segment that was cut out here. I noticed that too. Which was weird. It's Kofi in the locker room with the New Day and Big E and Xavier. And they talk about the Toronto Raptors and they talk about Drake. But then it's just Drake Maverick. In a Raptors jersey, um, and so it's I'm 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 wondering why they cut that out. There mu- there might have been there must have been something in there that they they didn't want in, but bizarre. Yeah, it's not on the the Peacock cut. Yeah, so, especially because we see Drake Maverick again not long after that, and you're wondering it why doesn't is really he make a Raptors sense. jersey and a whole bunch of bling. Just yeah, you can't uh, follow it, along with what has happened because we missed I, the first part. Yeah, I mean. Was there copywritten stuff with Drake in there that maybe we weren't supposed to know about? Were they worried about maybe having to like pay Drake residuals for it? I don't know. Some lawyer somewhere has the answer. Okay, so up next, we get the setup for AJ Styles versus Ricochet for the U.S. title. We had the video package showing the build for these two guys. They had had a little bit of a feud for a while, and... Then Ricochet makes his entrance. I think he was doing a Nightwing cosplay. They went around the horn to introduce all of the the different announced teams. The Portuguese, the Russian announced team, Carmella and R-Truth were dressed in costumes. Uh, That was when Renee says, uh, oh, Car, your girl's looking good. 
They had the Japanese team with Funaki, the Hindi team, the French team, and the Mandarin team. As uh, Drake showed up with a referee right there with all the announcers trying to win the 24-7 trial from Truth, but then Truth and Carmella ran off. So we get ready for AJ versus Ricochet. And I got to say, this match was so fascinating to me for a couple of different reasons, because if I didn't know either one of these two guys... I would have liked this match better mm-hmm. because they told a really good story in this match. They had a story. They had a plan. This plan, the story of this match was, you know, working on Ricochet's like leg, trying to take out the, uh, you know, the wheels from him. So he couldn't be as high flying and Ricochet was selling it. Ricochet was doing moves with one leg to really sell it. I loved it. It made sense in that particular way. So in a vacuum, this match would have been a fine three to three plus star match that I had no problem with. This isn't a vacuum, though. I know what these two guys can do, and that's not what I wanted from this match. I wanted these two guys to have, like, handcuffs off and really go at it, and they were telling a way different story here, which, again, it's fine, but it's just not the type of match that you would expect from these two, not in any way bad just different from what I wanted. So, you know, I'm in like the three-ish range on this, but of course with these two guys, Andrew, there's going to be some incredibly athletic stuff, and there's nothing bad about this match. It just, I wanted it to be these two guys trying for a five-star match, and that's not what we got here. That's dead on. I mean, you get the start of the match, Ricochet jumps off Anderson and Gallo's shoulders. One to the other into a Rana on the floor. At that point, you're going, okay, I'm paying attention. This is going to be really good. And it was fine. I had it at two and three quarters. We know what Ricochet can do. We know that if you take the handcuffs off, he is as close to peak Ray Mysterio as you're going to get. They took away what made him unique for the sake of AJ going over. And while I get the logic and while I get you're trying to get AJ and the OC over as killers, you can do that by doing a match where AJ is shown he can keep up. That's basically the way WCW booked Dean Malenko for a while and matched with guys like Mysterio and Juventud Guerrera and the smaller guys. He was the guy with power offense that could keep up and ground him. This was fine. I've got no issue with it, and I understand the story they were telling, but given the stuff that came before it and a couple of matches that came after it and what we know these guys are capable of, it's tough not to feel, I don't want to use the word let down because it's not like this match was bad, but off the first minute of the match, you're expecting, oh, these guys are going to tear the house down, and that just didn't happen. No, and... We're in very, very similar feeling on this match. Again, good spots. Both guys worked well. It just felt like they had a plan for a match, and that plan wasn't, hey, we're going to go out here and steal the show. It was, we're going to tell the story of selling the injury and Ricochet trying to sell that. And And honestly, really quick, I get why they did that. Because you start off the show with a banger, You get Goldberg and Ziggler stealing the show right before them. You want to give the crowd something different. 
I understand that to a point. It's just you see Ricochet's name next to AJ Styles and you're expecting this four-star match where they go 10 minutes and don't stop, and that's just not what you get. No, not at all. So they were working on Ricochet's leg throughout. Early on, he uh, AJ grabs Ricochet's leg, drives it into the mat. He kicks it out from under him and working on the leg against the ropes. Ricochet hits a head scissors, jumping kick, then a one-legged springboard, which was awesome. And I loved it because it was part of the story that they're telling. He used yep. the one leg. So that was really good stuff from Ricochet. Uh, he hit a jumping neck breaker, standing shooting star press, got a two count, uh, knee to the ribs. He goes up top, uh, sunset flip pin for two. And then AJ starts working on the back of the knee, uh, running forearm, sends Ricochet outside. Fans starting to get into this a little bit. And then we get back in the ring and they slow it down. Fireman's carry with the knee to the back that AJ does for two. Uh, Ricochet tosses him into the corner, then into the apron. We then get Ricochet kicking Styles down, but AJ rolls through. And uh, Ricochet hits a, a jump kick to the head. So fun spots here and there. It just, you know, a few more minutes and these guys saying, hey, let's be the best match on the card. Th- that's that's what I want. That's what I wanted from from them. Um, Ricochet slapped on an Anaconda Vice at one point, and he had a Northern Lights followed by a spinning suplex. It, that looked really, really cool. That was one of my favorite spots in the match. And he's selling the the leg injury, and he goes after Anderson. He goes after Gallows, and then he goes up top. But it was too much for him to deal with. AJ trips him, and then uh, he's hitting some elbows. He again goes after Anderson. But the numbers game catches up with him. AJ hits the Styles Clash for the pin. Just about 13 minutes. Like we said, not a lot of critiques other than I just wanted more because I know these guys can have a match of the night anytime they want. Yeah, and you knew it because of both how the match started and how the match ended. Ricochet does that dive and dives right into the Styles Clash and it's executed seamlessly. It's perfect. You know there's something in there. It's just that wasn't the match they were put on to deliver. What we got was okay. After the match, you get Anderson and Gallows being the big bullies and leaving Ricochet laying, and you get the OC with all of the belts because at the time, Anderson and Gallows were the Raw Tag Team champs. It was okay. I've got no issues with it. It just it seemed like TV main event rather than SummerSlam blowoff. I agree. I agree. We continue along to oh after the match, Gallows and Anderson they hit the magic killer and they uh you know like you said they're trying to make them look strong so they leave Ricochet Lion. We check in backstage with the Street Profits. They are the NXT Tag Team Champions and they're welcoming us to SummerSlam. They're just pumping up the crowd. They talk about the Raptors. They give the We the North chant and uh, and Ric Flair shows up. They have a little fun with Flair, do a little dance, and have uh, some woos. And they talk about how they want to party with Flair. Um, but, you know, this is fine. Like, this is an okay use of Flair. You get him on there, you get him to, you know, have a, a moment. But you do these, you know, throughout the show. This did feel like a Raw segment, but I understand on, on SummerSlam, you have a couple of your, uh, your legends there. You want to show them off. I thought it was pretty funny that Angelo Dawkins decided to shoot his shot with Nikki Cross there. Oh, that yeah, that's true. Cool. That yeah. Was true. Yeah. yeah, he's going <laughs> after it. Yep, 
And then they're talking on all of Flair's lines and stuff. It was fine. I got nothing wrong with this. That was Me neither. Cool. It was it was not it was just like two minutes, right? So it's not it's not long enough to bother you. Quick, fun, get a laugh. And uh, they showed a commercial for the show Mayans on FX, and then a commercial for Charlotte Flair, Cricket Wireless. Then we get set up for Bailey versus Ember Moon. And I always liked Ember's uh, uh, entrance song. Ember sparks the fire. Ember sparks the flame. But I will say, she had a good run in NXT. She just never was able to really get it all together on the main roster. And I don't think she's really been able to find her footing all that much in AEW. Sometimes she has limitations with character and promo work. Really good in the ring. She had a match couple weeks ago with uh, a, a tag match on Dynamite that was excellent in-ring work, but her character work has always been just a little lackluster for me, and I think that's what hurt her moving up from NXT to the main roster. A little bit, and it was also a case where some of the programs she was involved in were sort of weird, and this is one of them because you can hear it. Bailey is a face here. This is still hugger, wacky, waving, arm flailing, inflatable tube man. Bailey, she would turn a month later because she wasn't really that over right into the version of Bailey that we now know. It's a weird face versus face dynamic. And those matches can work, but you better be over enough to pull it off to where you can motivate people to take sides. And this crowd even though this match was not bad. No, it's not bad at all. This crowd was dead. They they just didn't they didn't care about either of them at this point and in this feud and it didn't seem like Ember was being built as someone who was going to beat Bailey, so it felt like uh she's just here to get Bailey a win. And it, again, the the in-ring work was fine. It just the crowd didn't give it that extra oomph that it needs to become a really good or above average type match. A little back and forth with some counters, then some strikes, springboard cross body by Ember, uh, Bailey. Uh, then she put on a, a knee submission, and then Bailey with a neck breaker. Ember with another. Uh, uh, Ember goes for a cross body, but Bailey moves out of the way. Bailey hits a running knee and then a clothesline, and they're up top. And Bailey hits a suplex. Then a forearm from Ember. The Bailey grabs Ember's arm and sends her neck first into the turnbuckle. And uh, Ember was upside down on the turnbuckle. And Bailey hit an elbow drop and then a back elbow. She went for a low clothesline, but Ember was able to avoid that. She hit a kick. It started to pick up the pace a little bit here. Um, Bailey went up top, but Ember catches her, hits a nice Hurricane Rana off the top. And she actually puts Bailey up on her shoulders and double knees to the face for two. Um, Bailey with a back elbow. Then uh, she goes for the finisher, but Ember is able to battle her, uh, battle her off. Um, Ember catches Bailey on the shoulders and hits a power bomb for two. Looked like it was almost a scary spot there for a moment, but uh, they're up top. Uh, Ember's up top. Bailey climbs up after her. And a Bailey to belly off the ropes for the pin at just under 10. The work was fine. Wasn't like there were botches in this match. These two are both very good workers. There just wasn't anything more than that to it. 
Right. I mean, this was probably, of all of the matches on the show, this was the bathroom break match. And that's a shame because those two workers deserved far more. Also, it's not their fault, but the other two women's matches on this show were, I would say, four stars or better. And yes, just really okay. good with yeah, and, really over characters, too. Yeah. And this one was just sort of there. So if you watch this, it's not bad. If you watch it on mute, you probably think it's pretty good. But the crowd just had no reason to care about any of this. They might have been burned out. It's just not a good spot. And in watching this, you have to wonder if maybe someone backstage wasn't going Maybe we should have put this on the pre-show. I know, because the first women's match has Becky, who's the most over of the female characters on the roster at this time, against Natty, who's in her home country and going to get a big reception. In the other women's match, you have Charlotte, who is always going to be someone that attracts heat. She's always going to get booed. And you have her against the hometown home country, Trish Stratus. So those matches were so much hotter than this match. You just couldn't help feel it when this match was happening. Like it felt like varsity JV kind of a thing, you know? Um, Not necessarily varsity JV, but certainly if you're watching college football, it's the difference between Texas and UTEP. There you go. I like that comparison. So Bailey picks up the win. And we move along. We get a commercial for WWE shop, Roman Reigns, and then the video package for Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon. KO was doing some really good work on the mic. And it's funny because at this moment, his character was kind of similar to the character that he has right now, where it's just sort of tell it like it is guy. He's the guy that gets to come out and like, Hey, remember we're watching a TV show. Here are the weird things that happens. Like he gets to be the one that the line he had after WrestleMania where he's on commentary and I forget what preceded it, but some, but someone said something and he said, yeah, you also said Cody hadn't wrestled in six years. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he just gets to say what we're thinking, which is a really cool role. And even in the video packages to build this up, this was right after the McMahons had come out in the ring and said, we're going to really listen to all the fans and we're going to completely change everything. And uh, Kevin Owens point was, so that meant more of Shane McMahon. Shane and was I doing- got to tell you, he's not wrong because no. this version of Shane is was death. It was the worst version of him The the pe- people like Shane because Shane was a likable guy. That was what and they liked about Shane. Because he would do all sorts of crazy stuff in yeah. order to pop the crowd and or just put his body at unnecessary risk. That was the appeal. Even early on when he was Shane O'Mac, he's doing crazy stuff. He's kind of popping in, popping out. And it's funny because Shane shifted. Like if you look at young Shane, he was incredibly comfortable on the microphone. Like he was like, he had a swagger that was like, you wanted to just punch the hell out of this McMahon's son, and he, which way did he go? Which way did he go? I can remember him doing it. And then after, you know, he became more of a baby face, and, you know, when he was doing the, you know, me versus my dad, and I'm going to be in the invasion, and that that type of thing. But as Shane got a little older, and, and he left WWE and went on and did some work on his own, when he came back, he never got back that, like, 
comfortability on the mic. There was just something about him that was a little bit different there. He was a little more shaky, a little more nervous. He just didn't have that same, like, like smoothness that he did before. And this was like cringy, a lot of this stuff. With and him. and the, the other thing with Shane is he came back and creative did him no favors. He came back as a total shock. A lot of the dirt sheets didn't even have it. Meltzer said, there's going to be a return tonight. No one sees coming. And as it turned out, Stephanie was in the ring accepting an award from her father. Here comes the money plays and the crowd goes ballistic because nobody's seen Shane in 10 years at that point. So he comes out. Do you remember the crux of the promo that he had? It was about a lockbox. Yep, and then that we never box, found anything. It more was out. never mentioned again. And then after that match with the Undertaker, which wasn't a match so much as Shane throws himself off a cage for our entertainment. After that, you wind up with a version of Shane that's just there as a talent. You wind up with him going over in that World Cup in Saudi Arabia and proclaiming himself as the best in the world in what some speculated was nothing more than a dig at CM Punk. It felt like it. He Who won, had he left came in, the company four years earlier. Who cares in, at that point? He came in at the end of a tournament, won one match in that tournament, and then was named At the some best point, hit. we're going to need to review that Saudi Arabia I know. show. It's got to really happen because that entire show was hot garbage. It was and so, so was, bad. Yeah. And so was this run. I mean, you're waiting for somebody to show up and just knock this guy's lights out, even when he's supposed to be a babyface. They finally turn him heel. He does the shtick where he just accosts this poor ring announcer, having him do his introduction over and over and over again. And you're waiting for the payoff. This is supposed to be the payoff. I don't think it lands. And I'll tell you why after we go through the match. Yeah, yeah. When he came in and was the SmackDown GM with Daniel Bryan before Daniel Bryan was cleared to wrestle again, that was fine. Like that, that he was fine there. He wasn't like best Shane, but Shane in this later part of his life should be a babyface because people like I think innately one to like him when his money when his music hits. Here comes the money. Like people just get excited. I think they want to see Shane come out, do his little dance, and that was a fine role for him. I hated this. This just felt really forced. As you mentioned, he's making Greg Hamilton do the best in the world entrance. The best in the world. Shane McMahon. And KO. Huge ovation here, as you would expect from Kevin Owens, being from Canada. is He has the fight, Toronto fight, on the back of the shirt. Shane cuts a promo, and the fans are going nuts in here. He said to make sure that this is a fair contest, the special guest enforcer is Elias. So we get Elias out, not Ezekiel, Elias. No, not Ezekiel, Elias. In the uh, referee shirt. And Shane leaves the ring. KO follows. And so we're getting a little cat and mouse mouse there. Owens is chasing, and Elias trips him. Um, KO comes back with some punches, big punches, cannonball. KO with the big clothesline that sends Shane O'Mac out to out to the floor, and Elias keeps getting involved, preventing things from happening. Shane ends up 
throwing a KO into the apron against the barricade and big bump on the back for KO. And when he gets back in the ring, Shane's stomping on him. Fans are, fans are chanting, Shane, you suck. Uh, Shane with some of his MMA punches, knees to the ribs, side rush and leg sweep. That did not look very good. So the fans chant, you can't wrestle. KO goes for the power bomb, but Shane is able to wiggle out of it. He actually hits a DDT. He goes for a sharpshooter in Canada. The fans are booing. KO fights out of it. Uh, he hits a sit-out power uh, pop-up power bomb, and uh, and he looks like he's going to win the match. But Elias is able to distract the referee here. Shane with the roll up for two. Uh, KO hits a clothesline. Remember, he would have to quit if he loses this match forever, Shane, forever, forever. Shane with some slaps. And Shane runs at KO KO moves and Shane ends up hitting Elias Knocking Elias down So now KO has an opening Super kick on Shane He hits a a senton bomb And a frog splash Elias pulls the referee out of the ring That would have been the finish right there Um, Should have been a DQ But match keeps going There's a lot of things in this match That should have been a DQ Yeah I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was okay. I'm glad it didn't go on all that much longer than it did. We um we had fans really starting to get into it late. Elias and KO go at it a little bit on the outside. Owens gets the better of that one, and he starts nailing him with a chair. He hits him about five or six times, and he throws Elias over the barricade. This next spot, I I'm telling you, I actually laughed out loud. I popped so it was so funny. So Kevin Owens has the chair in his hand and the ref comes back in and the ref's looking at Kevin Owens with the chair like KO was just about to use it and KO looks over at the referee and he goes, "You're right. You're right." And he hands him the chair like, "Okay, you got me. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to be a good guy." So when the ref goes to place the chair outside the ring, Kevin Owens just kicks Shane right in the nuts. It was fantastic. It was just like, let me get a minute for him to not see this and boop, kick him right where the sun don't shine. I thought the finishing spot was was funny for a feud like this where it's okay to win it that way. It with Shane, you just want to see people get the better of Shane. Stunner, he gets the pin, really big pop. But I agree with you in that it didn't feel like enough. I don't for for this character of Shane like he still needed to get more than this I thought it just didn't work for me I mean the crowd hates Shane McMahon but it's not heel heat it's go away heat the <clears throat> offense that he has in the corner with all those punches and whatnot that we're supposed to think is just this brutally effective striker type Leads the crowd to start chanting, you can't wrestle. If that's not a sign that, okay, this has run its course and Shane needs to go away for a while, I don't know what is. You'll wind up with a couple of fun spots. You mentioned the thing with Shane getting kicked in the balls and then hit with the stunner. That was fine. The stuff we talked about with things that should have been disqualifications. Kevin Owens hits both officials with a cannonball. From the apron to the floor. And it's not like Elias is pushing the referee in front of him. He hits both officials. He just nails them. So that didn't work. 
Then Owens gets the chair and starts wailing away on Elias. And we get one of Kevin Dunn's favorite features, the shaky cam. Oh my God. Gino, I almost had a seizure watching that. Just hold the camera steady one time. I promise it's going to resonate just as much with people at home. Then if you're trying to do the Blair Witch Project effect with everybody running every which way going, oh my God, look at what this guy's doing. Ah!" This didn't work. I thought Graves had a pretty funny line after where he said uh, to Tom, or he was, you know, Graves is like exasperated about everything that happened. I can't believe this went on. This, how could they do this to Shane? Tom said, but if Shane did those things, it would have been fine. And Graves responded, yeah, let me know when Kevin Owens signs your paychecks, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin Owens, or rather, uh, Corey Graves had a couple of good lines on this show. There's one in the Charlotte Trish match that I really, really liked. I thought he had a pretty good night. But again, as far as this match goes, to me, this was the low light of the show. And it was a mercy killing of the storyline rather than blowing it off. I understand why they booked it the way they did. It just wasn't for me. It went on way too long. And ultimately, 2019 Shane wasn't 1999 Shane, who could do a whole bunch of crazy stuff and get the fans wondering what he was going to do next. People just wanted to see this guy go away. We got a commercial for... The WWE Network programming, NXT UK TakeOver, Clash of Champions, all the stuff coming up, documentaries, everything that they had at the time. And then a video package about the Roman Reigns storyline. So this was a bizarre storyline. Bizarre is an understatement. He gets attacked backstage. Somebody drove a car into his car. It seemed like they were going to go with Buddy Murphy. Then they had it be Eric Rowan. This was while Roman was sort of feuding with Daniel Bryan. And the crazy part, neither Roman Reigns nor Daniel Bryan is on this show. Exactly. It's just how can you have one of the big four pay-per-views without the guy you're clearly building the company around, without the guy that was in the match of the night at WrestleMania a couple months prior in that incredible match that Daniel Bryan had with Kofi Kingston? How do you leave both of those guys off the show entirely? It's not even that they don't have matches. They're not on the show. No, no segment, no backstage promo. All we see is a video package of what's been happening. Bizarre. Insane. And then things get weird after that, because then we get the segment on SmackDown where it turns out it's not Eric Rowan. It's someone that looks exactly like Eric Rowan, but oh wait, Eric Rowan was still behind everything. Daniel Bryan's now a good guy. Here's Luke Harper. We're going to do a tag match and everything will be great. Omniscient narrator, things were not great. No, that was bad. What was next was not bad. It was Charlotte. What was next was the polar opposite of bad. It was Charlotte versus Trish. First up, it's Charlotte, purple gear, robe, and then Trish getting a big response, looking fantastic. The crowd is singing the national anthem to start the match, which kind and of and that popped both of them in the laughing. ring. You could they see they were laughing. Straight. Yep, they were straight laughing. And I mean, these ladies have a really, really good match. Trish with the head scissors. Um, then you know 
Charlotte keeps trying to go for the figure eight, but Trish flips her over. Charlotte goes for a power bomb, but Trish sends her outside. Then uh, a kick by Trish to knock Flair down. Then a Thez press. So good intensity early on. Flair gets the advantage for a bit. She sends Trish into the steps face first. Oh, don't do that, please. It's a beautiful face. And then she tosses <laughs> Trish. And then uh, she tosses Trish. In the ring, she breaks the count She sends her back uh, into the barricade So she's in control now for a little while Knee in the back of Trish Pulling on her arms She sends Trish face first into the mat Um, Really good Nice bump here By Trish When uh, Charlotte hits an overhead suplex And then she's pulling on the back of her neck Against the ropes She picks her up And Trish lands on top for two Which I thought was kind of fun She sort of was able to counter her in air And land for a a cover But it was only for two Then Charlotte again gets back in control And she is just trash talking You know, she's hitting her She's riling up the fans She's really talking some trash here You're not good enough for me You can't do this, you can't handle me And um, she's stomping on the back of Trish Charlotte goes up for a moonsault But Trish moves That gives Trish a moment She hits a flatliner Then a slap to the face Then some chops from Trish Charlotte hits a boot Uh, Trish goes for the attack in the corner But Charlotte blocks it Then they're going back and forth With punches on the top rope Uh, Trish is sitting on top And she's able to work it out To where she hits a Hurricane Rana They were kind of trying to counter each other on, On the top rope And she got the better and got the Hurricane Rana It was a really, really cool spot And the, the crowd was really into this Flair, Charlotte hits a, a big boot for two And that one surprised her She thought she got Trish there And starts to work over the left knee Knee drops um, Trish counters though I mean, this is just really good stuff Corey is starting to say This is not fair to Flair This is yep. not fair to Flair Yep, and, and it's I'm, great It's oh, fantastic It was really good because Now we're at the moment of the match when Charlotte is like really surprised that Trish still has something left. She thinks that she should have put Trish away at this point. Flair's kicking her in the knee. Fans start chanting, this is awesome. We uh, we get Trish bouncing off the ropes and she hits Stratisfaction for two. Big, this is awesome chance again. And they are back and forth chopping. They're on their knees to start and they're tired. And then they get... Up to their feet while they're still chopping And going back and forth And we uh, we Get a chick kick from Trish And she initially goes for Another kick um, I think I might have missed the spot Right before where Trish locked on The figure four and then She bridged into the figure eight Yeah that was the first time Corey Was screaming this is not fair to Flair that, and that was yep. the one I was going to bring up Because that's when if you're in Corey Graves head you're thinking Oh, this is good. This is so good. And you knew he was just waiting for the right time to bust it out. But he knew he couldn't waste it. But this match was so freaking good that it it, it worked and it worked so well. Uh, Yep. So the last little stretch of the match, Trish goes for that chick kick. And Charlotte comes back with a big boot. Charlotte comes, uh, is able to lock in the figure four. And she... Locks it and bridges the figure eight Trish tries to fight out But she has to tap out at over 16 and a half minutes I gave this thing four and a half Andrew And I gave it 
I, maybe I waited a little higher because of Trish and the fact that she wasn't a full time wrestler at this point. And then you add the hometown and the crowd was really into it. I love Charlotte's matches too. Uh, she's so good in ring and she gets sort of a weird kind of energy from the crowd a lot of the time that feels like she, I don't know, but I just, I've never got the Charlotte being forced feel because she's really good in ring. So I can understand why she is always in the main event. And this was just a, a, like, I love this match. This is one of my personal favorite matches of Charlotte's too, as a a Charlotte fan and as a fan of Trish. And these ladies did a fantastic job here. I had it at four and a half. And if anybody out there wants to go higher, you can absolutely do that. Yep. Bold statement, but I don't think it's an incorrect one. I think this is the best singles match of both performers' careers. That's how good this was. This was so... It, I hesitate to use the word magical because that'd make people roll their eyes. But the timing of everything in this match was perfect. You get Trish, who more than 10 years after the last time she was an active full-time performer, showing she could still hang and deliver the goods and more than hold up her end of the match with probably the best female worker in the country at that point. Mind you, this was not Charlotte Flair doing a carry job. Trish held up her end of the bargain. There were a couple of spots early on where, and we've seen this in a couple of what we call legends matches where they sort of ease into it. And it's like, Oh yeah, I remember how to do this. There wasn't that period within two minutes of the start of the match. Trish Stratus is coming off the apron with a fez press and landing knee first on the ground. I don't care how many mats you have on the ground. Try doing that and tell me how your knees feel afterwards. That's not an easy thing to do. And then there's a couple of other spots in this match that are so good. Trish comes back into the ring and hits a downward spiral that winds up being like an inverted Russian leg sweep off of a couple of spins and then winds up doing the Ric Flair chops on Charlotte. This is so good. I remember when Trish hit the bulldog, I bought the finish. When it first, when the match first happened, I legit thought, oh, that's the finish. Oh, oh, oh. And then Charlotte makes the comeback and winds up, you know, killing the feel good story dead. The other thing that I want to make sure I point out about this match, Trish gets a standing ovation on her way out and she's acknowledging the crowd. She does all of this while she's still selling the leg, which is just such a pro move. And then she gets up to the top of the ramp, takes a bow and leaves. If anybody has ever had a better high-profile farewell match, with the exception of maybe Shawn Michaels, I don't know who it is. You hit on a point, too, that I think has to be mentioned. This wasn't like a legend coming back that had a lot of four- to five-star matches in their body of work. Trish was a trailblazer because, at the time, there weren't really any like real women's matches. It was just the bra and panty stuff. And she was able to completely turn from a valet into a good worker who could go out there and main event a Monday night raw with Lita. She had some good matches with Lita, some stuff with Victoria. There were a few partners that were, were quality in ring at the time that she could have some okay matches with, but they were not giving her 15 minutes on pay-per-views to go out and have banger matches like that. So 
for her to be able to have the best match of her career, honestly, after she had been away from the business full time for 13 years against someone like Charlotte and not feel like Charlotte was the one carrying the match, that just goes to show you how great shape she is and how much she does care about this because she did not go in there in any way, shape, or form thinking she was going to mail in even one part of that match. Right. And honestly, that stuff, trace it back 20 years. With the way Trish Stratus looked, did she have to put in any work in ring if she didn't want to? No, absolutely not. And she turned into somebody that ultimately people are going to regard as one of the best to ever do this. And that's just such a testament to her work ethic and wanting to be taken seriously for reasons other than what a lot of women, many of whom we on this podcast have paid plenty of attention to for good reason, but she stood out for a lot of different reasons. And even now the fact that she's doing occasional house show loops up in Canada, she's engaging in these Twitter storylines with Bailey that are just hysterical stuff. She's a legend and should be regarded as such. Really good work here from Trish. And she's 42 years old. As uh, when she is on her way out, she gets the thank you, Trish chance. And we get to Seth Rollins backstage. So this had to be a little play on their real life history, right? Because Bret Hart called out Seth Rollins a few years ago after Sting got hurt and after Cena got hurt. And said that Seth was a little bit unsafe So I think they were probably doing this As like a little bit of a nod For Brett to come over and really give The baby face stamp of approval To Seth Rollins here We've talked about this before I, Seth Rollins Makes so much sense As a baby face In the way he wrestles And honestly, just who he is For WWE in real life He's a company guy. He loves WWE. He was the guy when AEW was was hot. He was the one that was defending WWE. He was always, you know, flying the WWE flag. But they've never been able to really make it connect with him 100% as the babyface. He's had a couple fine runs where he was a babyface where the crowd would get behind him. And even here, the crowd was... He has a, an awesome match that we'll get oh, to. Oh, this babyface run in 2019... Was some of the best work of his career Absolutely And I was at a couple of the shows in 2019 They did a loop up in the Bay Area The burn it down Became a legitimate thing And crowds loved him He got put over By Brock Lesnar at Wrestlemania It made sense Everything pointed To him being the guy on Raw And to Roman Reigns being the guy On Smackdown And that made sense But, and there's a huge but coming, everything with this show and every aspect of momentum that came out of this show would be undone within two months. And if you think that's a strong statement, stick with us. We'll get there. We'll explain why. Up next, we get set up. uh, First, there was a WWE 2K20 video game commercial. Oh, God, what a horrible game that was. Unplayable. So much so that they didn't even make a 2K21. And uh, then we get the video package for the Randy Orton-Kofi Kingston match. Stupid, stupid, That was funny. That was so funny. Like, the, the way that Randy says it, too, he just says, stupid. Kofi's stupid. 
for thinking he can hang with me. It was just the way he's just blasting Kofi and talking down to him. Randy is so hateable when he does this. Like you just you feel like he's such a prick. And the video package was good for this. Um, Randy said, I did hold Kofi Kingston down. He wasn't in my league. That's what everybody said. So the the buildup to this match, Andrew, was taking what was a rumor from years back. When Kofi initially came into WWE, he was starting to get some momentum. And one of the big moments that he had was in Madison Square Garden. He's out in the crowd. He beats the hell out of Randy Orton. Crowd goes nuts. And then Kofi has a match against Randy. The rumor was that there may have been some things that didn't click in the match. Overall, Randy just didn't like Kofi. And then following that, we did not see Kofi even come close to entering the main event or a title match again in 10 years. Yep, that's exactly what it was. I mean, they put the people that were in New Day together because they had nothing else for those three to do. He would hit a lot of U.S. title, IC title runs, matches, but you just never felt like Kofi was a real main eventer. And, and honestly, it happened again by sheer dumb luck. When Mustafa ended up getting hurt, they needed someone to fill in. They have this gauntlet match on SmackDown. It was the gauntlet match on SmackDown or Raw? It was on SmackDown, and Kofi yeah. went something like 45 minutes, right? And went just Kofi Mania was born. It was like that that natural momentum and groundswell like we got with Daniel Bryan and the crowd and everyone finally wanted this guy to get rewarded for all of the good work he'd done through the years, all of the entertainment. Kofi's a great in-ring worker. He's great in-ring. And he just didn't get a chance to have lots of stories or meaningful feuds a lot of the time. He just had to wrestle, you know, three and a half star matches quite often in tag spots or in mid-card stuff because that's what that's what he was written to do. That was his role in the company. And when he got the he got the ball. He ran with it. And honestly, this of the last, you know, 10 years, you think about 10, 15 years, you think about the Daniel Bryan stuff. And honestly, you think about Kofi as a couple of the really, really natural storylines that people got behind that were baby faces that almost everybody wanted to see win. Yeah. And Kofi paid that off. I mean, and gee, who'd he go over at WrestleMania? The guy that you mentioned earlier that that did sort of the same thing. Folks, wrestling is at its best when it is simple. And that's what we got here. The problem was after Kofi gets the title and after that tremendous, outstanding match at that WrestleMania that I believe Darren Zocali is still sitting in traffic outside (laughs) MetLife Stadium coming back from. And that's why he unfortunately can't be with us on this evening. They booked him in ways that made absolutely no sense. And when it finally became time to debut the new SmackDown, network executives didn't want Kofi as the champ. They wanted the big Viking space lord, that Lesnar fellow, and Lesnar squashes him in less than a minute. And ever since, Kofi hasn't really sniffed the main event again. And that's well, unfortunate. And it's he's stinks. not even really been able to he didn't even get a moment where he got to like address what happened. He right. hasn't even really had like his airy aired out promo. They were sort of 
teasing that direction for a little bit, but we never got the moment where Kofi was able to, to just come out and say, God, I got my butt kicked. I wasn't ready. Whatever, like get it off his chest. It just, they just moved him out of the title picture so quickly and right back into the spot that he was before. You, you would have like, you had to like rub your eyes a couple times and make sure that like what I, I the last four or five months really did just happen, right? Like, yeah. You did and see it, him. Yeah, and in ring, Kofi was still the very good performer that we had come to expect, but they booked him in weird spots on big occasions, and this was another example of that, because look, the video for this storyline loved it. It's so it good. a lot of it's sense. It's so good. It's perfect. They have the match. My issue is not with the quality of the match. It is, as we mentioned, the fact that they booked about the most inexplicable finish that you could possibly ask for. And on the longest match on the card. And you're left wondering, who does this help at all whatsoever? It did nothing for Kofi here. And it, it did nothing for what they were trying to do for Kofi to try to make him look kind of tough. But the the work was good. Also, I got to say, what a dumb chant from the fans where they're chanting Kofi stupid and Randy sucks. They're, they're chanting Kofi stupid, Randy sucks. It's like, come on. And, and again, it's one of those where like you're doomed to fail right from the start. Yeah. So the again, the quality of these two guys in ring work was fine. It's like a three star match, but the finish just it, it's so hard to feel positive about it because of the finish. We're going back and forth. Um, they're outside of the ring. Randy throws him back in. He's stomping on his arm. Uh, Kofi goes. For uh, Kofi goes for like a, a leaping attack Orton moves and Kofi hits the floor And he sets him up For the t- uh, the superplex but Kofi's able To block it tornado DDT For two he uh, knocks him Down knocks Randy down with some hard chops Drop kick jumping clothesline The boom drop leg drop And court, uh, Kofi starts yelling Stupid at him uh, then he Runs at Randy with a backbreaker Then uh, Kofi Hits the The trust dive Onto Orton on the floor from the the top rope, so he, he you know leaps and then kind of twists backwards. Um, Kofi then frog splash cross body block. So it wasn't like Orton wasn't laying; he was getting up. But Kofi did the frog splash and was still able to get a cross body there. Orton tosses Kofi into the turnbuckle and he blocks a kick. He hits that draping DDT, old school vintage Randy Orton. And uh, he sets up for the RKO Kofi counters it into a backslide for two He goes for trouble in paradise He moves, Kofi hits him with a kick to the face He goes up for a cross body again But Orton moves and hits an awesome looking RKO Really cool RKO here But Kofi was able to roll himself out of the ring So Randy didn't get the cover on And as Kofi's outside Randy is out there and Kofi's family is sitting ringside So his son is right in front of him And Randy starts Staring at his son Kind of looking like he's going to go over to Kofi's kid So Kofi starts going crazy at him Big punches And they both get counted out At almost 17 minutes Ugh, Like really Again very Very little negatives or bad feelings About the in ring work These two guys are veterans they're pros. They're going to put a good match together. You just, you can't elevate it or give it a really nice rating because what happens at the end, it just feels like a real incomplete. 
And the way you can tell is after the match, there's a spot where Kofi is supposed to get his heat back, goes under the ring, gets a kendo stick, wails away at Randy Orton. He's not holding anything back. The crowd does nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because they There's chanted no bullshit reaction. to start, and then it was like, hey, we we know what you're doing here. We know you're trying to give Kofi a moment for us to cheer him, but we're not even going to play into that right now. No, like, and it stinks because both of these guys, high-quality performers that deserve far better than they got. And for Kofi, once they decided to go to SmackDown uh, live on Fridays on Fox, he wasn't part of the main event picture anymore. It just... Dirty pool all the way around here. We're hard on WWE sometimes. And a lot of the reason for that is when WWE does things correctly, nobody can touch them. Night one of WrestleMania this year was an all-time tremendous show because WWE didn't overbook anything. They just did a whole bunch of things that made sense. And when they do stuff that makes sense, nobody can touch them. This didn't make any sense at all, even as it was happening. And then Kofi goes over to his family. It just, it it didn't work the way that they wanted it to, or maybe it it looked better on paper. And you just don't realize that people aren't going to be happy, even if you give them 15 minutes of good work. If this is a, a big match on a big show that they want to have an ending, you need to have more of a definitive end here. And that is not what we got with these two. Kofi would go on and end up getting the better of Randy in this feud. And, you know, he's going to lose, like Andrew said, to Brock in very quick fashion when SmackDown on Fox goes live. So we then get the commercial, another commercial for Mayans and a video package for Bray Wyatt versus Finn Balor. Now, as you just mentioned, when WWE does things well, they do them very well. And this debut of The Fiend was excellent. I can remember when we were talking with each other when he came out and everyone saying, wow, this literally looks really well done. It's like a horror movie character. This does not look cringy. And it was the presentation was good. We had the Firefly Funhouse in the video package. And the puppets with, wait for it, wait for it. One of the puppets, Gino, a white rabbit. Yes, yes, sir. So first up, it's Finn Balor, no demon Balor, and then it's Bray Wyatt. The Firefly Funhouse starts the entrance, and then the lights go out, and it says, let him in on the screen, and here comes Bray. He has the lantern. That freaking lantern gave me nightmares for three nights. It is a lantern that is a, it's a mask of his face, and the light comes out the opening of his mouth. And the opening of his mouth is like a foot long. It looks like one of the, like the Mike Myers type masks that people have, you know, with the hair up and the bit like, but the mouth, and it looks so much like Bray when you're looking at it. And the mouth is so wide with the light beaming out of it. It is terrifying. The attention to detail there, the mask, the fiend mask was great. We didn't have the red lighting yet. That, you know, that tint that would happen when the fiend would wrestle and Finn looked like anyone might have looked is nobody really knew what was going on here. And Michael Cole said, what on earth did we just witness? 
the fans are chanting holy shit before the match starts you know and that it, this wasn't about the match at all this thing went 3 minutes finn had two little flurries it was really all about the fiend and the crowd was loving him from the beginning he hits a headbutt whips finn into the ropes another headbutt to the chest and um he hits a slam he grabs the neck of finn and he twisted it like he was going to break his neck um then he hits a uranagi the fans start chanting let him in he goes for sister abigail Balor counters it hits a sling blade and a drop kick and a double foot stomp and then another drop kick that sends the fiend back he goes up top and looks like he's about to hit the coup de gras but the fiend counters with a mandible claw and Finn Balor passes out and he actually is laying so the referee counts one two three this match went a little over three minutes and this is what you're supposed to do when you debut a new badass character here kind of reminded me of like a Vader debut you know when when he comes in just a different monster in a different time period but it's it's a bummer Andrew because like I say many times in these shows we watch it's hard not it's hard to to separate things sometimes this was a fantastic debut this was a great way to present a character for the first time but we don't feel good about it because what ends up happening a couple months down the line with this character? Hell in a cell. Now, a couple of things had to line up perfectly in order for this to work. And the one thing that I want to stress, Finn Balor was about to take a couple months off. He had a couple of nagging physical issues that he was going to try to take care of. So he was a perfect candidate to get fed to the fiend right off the rip. Balor has name value. He's a guy that can sell. He's a smaller guy to where he can bump around and make the Fiend's offense look as imposing as humanly possible. Tremendous pick for a debut opponent. You look at this guy, Bray Wyatt under a mask after the couple of years he had prior to this wouldn't have been anybody's idea of revolutionary booking because Bray Wyatt for as much of a creative genius as he had been, once the bell rang, he was sort of just another guy. They had lightning in a bottle with The Fiend. You had a guy that had was doing these promos that nobody else was doing or could do. You had that entrance. You had that freaking lantern. It made sense that they were going to try to do something with him in a main event setting. Fast forward two months to Hell in a Cell. He is in with Rollins. They have the stupid red light. The match itself stinks. And it is a Hell in a Cell match that ends by way of disqualification. It was indefensible even as it was happening. What? It it killed the Fiend dead as a main event heel. And it hurt it, Seth too. It didn't do oh, anything it for Seth. killed Rollins as a main event face. And that's where I was going with this because they had to turn Rollins heel at the start of 2020 because he couldn't be seen as a face anymore after that indefensible booking decision. There was just no way in which what they did was a good idea. It killed two guys that could have made them significant money moving forward. They ultimately decided to still put a title on the fiend only to take it off of him in Saudi Arabia 
because, hey, let's put the title on Goldberg. There's just no defending a lot of this booking. And even after they did the Firefly Funhouse match with Cena at WrestleMania in 2020, that didn't resonate as much as it should have because, hey, it was COVID. We had no idea what was going on. We had an empty arena WrestleMania for it. Just so much of this on this show was so good. This is a very good show. And we'll get into the main event more. But two or three months down the line, babyface Seth Rollins got nerfed. The Fiend got nerfed. A couple of months after that was when SmackDown goes to Fox. Titleist Kofi Kingston is no more. It's a really strange time with some really strange booking decisions that were made. And the more you look back on it three years later, the more you wonder, what did they leave on the table? Yeah, so crazy to think about this. We were so pumped, like, man, this looks like a horror movie character. It didn't look bad. It looked good. The mask looked good. The presentation, everything did not have a long shelf like Life, But it's very interesting that as we talk right now on September the 20th, I mean, they're teasing Bray Wyatt, right? It's either Bray. This is the thing that just it baffles me about Twitter. You really think they're doing all of this for Paul London? Really? Really? And that's no disrespect to Paul London, who's a fine wrestler who did some great work on Lucha Underground as, wait for it, a member of the Rabbit Tribe. (laughs) But yeah. I love the fact that Wyatt is coming back. I love the fact that he's going to be working, I assuming this is him, of course, with Triple H and with Sean. Triple H has said he loves working with Wyatt and the creativity that he has. It's just one of those things where, like a lot with Braun Strowman, it makes a lot of sense that they brought him back. What do you do with him when he's there? See what happens if uh, Bray Wyatt shows up in the next few weeks. We move to the main event. First up, a couple more commercials. WWE 24 special about Kofi. Clash of Champions pay-per-view. Then the video package for the Universal Championship match. Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins. This was also weird. Because Brock had the money in the bank, right? The beast time? in the bank when the, he was doing like the break dancing Which stuff was funny. Right. It, it's it was, hilarious. It was Let really Brock funny. have fun and you wind up with Brock Lesnar that does that, that moves rings with tractors. Just this ridiculous stuff that shouldn't work, but works. But he has a run. It's like a nothing run. He beats Seth and then just loses it right back to him here, which is sort of weird. It just, you know, you can do that with Brock because it doesn't hurt him any And I can forgive it because the match was so good. This is a great, this is a great match. For all of the people that hate on Brock Lesnar, you start going through the matches that he's had with Seth Rollins, with Daniel Bryan, with AJ Styles, with Finn Balor, with Cena, the triple threat with Rollins and with Cena, the matches with Punk, the matches with Undertaker. Some of those matches at the end with Undertaker were very good. Undertaker still had some good work left in him there. So... He has been a big match guy, even when he's not there week in, week out selling. And the Roman matches, I mean, they're not bad. They're not bad matches. So we get the main event, Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins. And Seth Rollins comes out first. Big cheers for Seth. And uh, then Brock, mixed reaction. And uh, big pyro for Brock. In-ring intros, the white-haired Mike Mike Rome. 
And then Paul Heyman takes the microphone and he does the the unique uh, intro, his own intro for Brock. Now it's time for the Universal Championship match. Brock goes right after Seth. A couple shoulder tackles. He's aiming at the ribs because Seth's ribs are taped up. And he goes for a German suplex and Seth lands on his feet, then hits a stomp. And it looks like he's about to win this match real quick, but it's only for two. Brock has to go to the floor and regroup. Seth hits a big running knee off the apron and Seth with a kick. Then Brock hits a German suplex. Again, Seth lands on his feet, hits a couple superplex, uh, hits a couple super kicks. He goes for the stomp, but Brock catches him and nails an F5. Brock's still a little fuzzy, so he can't make the cover, but now he's able to regroup a little bit. He grabs Seth by the tape on his ribs and this starts is so awesome. So swinging good. him around by the tape. Uh, then he nails some German suplexes and he's he's holding them because the first two times he tried to hit the German suplexes, Seth was able to escape and was able to land on his feet. So this time he's making sure Seth can't do that. They're lower German suplexes where he holds him all the way through. Then on the third one, he finally releases. We um we just got good intensity and a really nice pace from these guys. Throughout the whole thing Seth countered an F5 He sent Brock into the ring post He shoves him into the post again Springboard knee to the face He goes up top But Brock moves And then another German suplex Where he just tosses him Then Brock takes off the gloves And starts throwing Seth around Suplex Throws him into the turnbuckle He bear hugs him Shots to the back uh, Tosses him into the turnbuckle Seth moves though And sh- and Brock goes bo- uh, shoulder first Into the ring post And Rollins hits a running knee To send Brock in uh, Up against the announce table He lays him uh, up there And he hits a suicide dive on Lesnar on the floor Then another suicide dive The third time Brock catches him And then he Starts working on the back He drives Seth right into the ring post Really hard And he clears off the announce table but Seth kicks him, and then he puts Brock up on the announce table. We had so many announce tables, you knew we had to have one spot. They weren't going to show us 15 different announce crews throughout the night and not get one announce table spot. As uh, Seth hits a frog splash from the top of the ring post out to the announce table through Lesnar. Really impressive spot. Crowd starting to get into it, and they head back in the ring. Seth goes back up, he hits a frog splash He goes up for the stomp Brock gets to his knees Seth hits the stomp, but it was just for two That was the one that everybody thought Was going to be it Uh, Seth again sets up the stomp Brock catches him, goes for an F5 But Seth lands on his feet Hits a super kick And he hits the stomp for the win At about 13 and a half minutes I thought this was a 4 star plus match um, and Seth Rollins is your new Universal Champion They didn't try to go 25 13 was good because They were not like a sprint But they were at a nice pace They didn't feel like they had to Save a little for the last Few minutes of the match It was a good story And these two guys worked really hard Yeah this was the Sting Vader Formula to the letter Little guy against big guy And when you're following that formula the psychology is so simple, especially when the baby face is fighting from underneath and may or may not be selling an injury. Check the box with the ribs. 
This was so simple on any number of levels. And you add in a couple of guys that can go to that formula and you're going to wind up with something that's really, really good. And that's what wound up happening here. Co-sign with you on everything about Lesnar. This is a guy that, as we've mentioned on a couple of past shows, his career is never going to be replicated no matter how many times we try. The sheer number of things this guy has done, both in the ring and in other professions, you're just not going to find a guy that is as built for drawing money in various different endeavors as Brock Lesnar is. And when he's motivated, he is as good as there is from bell to bell. Usually that comes when he's got a smaller guy that can play ball with him. We've seen it with Rollins, with Styles, with Daniel Bryan, with a couple other smaller guys too. This guy can work. And in this particular instance, I mean, the spot where he's swinging Seth Rollins by the rib tape, somewhere Diamond Dallas Page, who wrestled the entire WCW run with tape ribs and a rib injury that just never healed, somewhere he's going, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) These spots just worked. And Seth Rollins should have been a made man for life after this match. I maintain that. I understand he was never going to be the super baby face that you see, you know, guys like Cena ascend to those heights. But he, he was never going to be a, that guy. A B, he could have been a B plus, right? He really could have been. been a Brett. Yeah. You're right. And all of a sudden, two months later, they have to turn him heel because Hell in the Cell bombed. Just... It makes me mad even thinking about that because there was no explanation for it. Things even felt at good the time. right here. It felt if like you're moving a really good show. You're moving it's in a positive just, way. You uh, got Seth in a good spot. Kofi, you know, you didn't like what happened there, but he still got the title. You've, you know, you've just created this new heel in the fiend. Let him cook for a little bit. Give the guy a couple months. Don't immediately rush him. As soon as they rushed him into that, I remember thinking they booked themselves into a corner here because you don't want the heat, this the fiend to lose immediately. And what are you going to do with Seth? He's actually starting to get some steam now as a babyface. They, it's it's just frustrating because you book this stuff. You don't. You can do whatever you want with it. You you don't have to feel forced to do something at a particular time. And that's what they did right here. And so for the show from top to bottom being very good, as you hit at the beginning, it's hard not to think about how a lot of this stuff in just a few months was not all that important anymore. No, and and the people weren't that important either. I mean, you watch this show, and again, you could have built the raw brand around top babyface Seth Rollins at this point. When Lesnar's ready to come back, you find something for him to do. Even though Roman and Daniel Bryan weren't on this show, it was still a really, really good show. I mean, we've gone through this. There's three matches on this show that, in my book, are four stars or higher. I agree. There's nothing that's actively bad. The Owen Shane thing, just it wasn't for me. It wasn't my cup of tea. And we both have issues with it. But it's also not terrible and at the very least ended the storyline. So you can live with what you got. This is a really good show. And it's just dampened a little bit by what came after it. Okay, so for uh, our next selection, I'll take take another swing at a SummerSlam that I, uh, I really, really liked. This is the one where we have Daniel Bryan versus John Cena in the main event. 
SummerSlam 2013 And then right after that Randy Orton cashes it in On Daniel Bryan We also have earlier on the card A really good Brock Lesnar CM Punk no DQ match And what's uh, Kind of interesting and related to the show That we're talking about It was the first ever match for Bray Wyatt He defeats Kane in a Ring of Fire match With Luke Harper and Eric Rowan Out there with him Cody Rhodes has a match on the card against Damian Sandow And Alberto Del Rio and Christian Had a good match They actually had really good chemistry together Those two guys They had some really good work uh, in ring together So overall This is kind of an interesting show Because I wanted to get to this one at some point I'm a big fan of that Daniel Bryan-Cena match I love the way that that was built up And Daniel Bryan was getting that natural baby face um, you know, energy at the time So we're going to head to 2013, Andrew, for SummerSlam Cool, looking forward to that That's a good show Probably need to get to that one at some point So all for that And I, I remember that show And you remember, you know, Brian going over Cena You remember how good that felt and then here comes Randy Orton and you're going, "Oh, you son of a bitch." Cuz Triple H was the <laughs> Triple H was a was like a babyface at that time. He was the referee. So he was just going to make sure that everything went smooth and Triple H was the one that turned on Daniel Bryan and then Orton comes out and it was uh yeah, it was it was a good moment. I remember just being, "No. No, they can't do this to Daniel Bryan." But they did, and we will talk about it on the next Old Wrestling Rewatch SummerSlam 2013 So Andrew with Saratoga in the books right now What's going on uh, for you work-wise Tell us a little bit about what you have happening And uh, where we can find some of the stuff you've got Sleep Sleep is Good. what's going on with me Good. After three months of just not worry Of worrying pretty much exclusively About horse racing at Pleasanton and Saratoga During my time off But uh, on a serious note though A lot of the stuff that I'm doing Is focused on the possible passage Of sports betting here in California Cheap plug PlayCA.com is Katina Media's California news site A lot of things going up there on a daily basis I'm overseeing a lot of that Still doing a lot of writing on my site, andrewchampagne.com, especially with football season now well underway. Looking at horse racing there as well, so keep an eye out for that. Twitter is at andrewchampagne, and that's probably the best place for a one-stop shop of everything that I'm currently working on. Andrew, buddy, thank you so much. Look forward to talking SummerSlam 2013 with you on the next Old Wrestling Rewatch DZ might be back with us next time I may need to pull DZ in to help me out With a Star Wars uh, and or Recap or two so I may It may be you and me for uh, another couple weeks Because if I'm using him I might not ask him To do double duty uh, to do double duty. So we'll I mean see. he doesn't sleep anyway The only hold up you're gonna have Is if he has to put up the Halloween Decorations that apparently or, uh, all came tumbling Down on him or if the young uh, the young guys have some basketball tourneys going on because they've become a like a, a, a nice little juggernaut over there. I was gonna say, yeah, my goodness, they're they're working on signing trades and getting whatever version of LeBron James <laughs> they can get. Yeah, good for them. So we'll have some fun talking SummerSlam 2013 very soon. Make sure to give Andrew a follow and check out all the great content that he has. Thank you so much, buddy. This was a fun show to talk about, and we'll uh, we'll talk some more Bray Wyatt. Some Daniel Bryan, some Brock Lesnar, and some CM Punk on the next old wrestling rewatch. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said.
And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. Hope you enjoyed our NBA preview team-by-team. Big thanks to Dave for taking so much time. And then Andrew helping us out with the old wrestling rewatch. We head to SummerSlam 2013 for our next old wrestling rewatch. Coming up in the next uh, few days or so, we'll have a She-Hulk series finale recap for you with Tim Kelly. We'll continue along with Andor. We'll get into Episode 7 for our next deep dive. We'll have Santa Anita and Keeneland racing for you coming up this weekend. And so much more NFL game previews, college football previews. We'll continue to uh, check in on the NBA and, and MLB and see what's going on there as it's a busy time in the world of sports Thanks so much for hanging out with us, folks. Good luck, kick back, and enjoy the NBA season.